Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the One More Jump podcast by Rise Pull Vault. Before we get today's episode started, I wanted to mention that we are going to be having some cool announcements pretty soon about just some simple, uh, not simple, I think they're super exciting changes with the podcast. Um, nothing with the structure or anything like that. Just, you know, some of the finer details of the podcast that I've needed to clean up uh, and just haven't had a lot of time to do it. Um, we kind of started this thing in 2020 and I knew where I wanted it to go, but I'm not like a professional podcast man or I didn't go to school to, you know, be a, a podcaster. I don't even know if you can go to school to be a podcaster, but Anyway, it's grown and there's a lot of people that are interested in this podcast and they're, it's really humbling and exciting and cool. Um, we're developing a pretty good audience and we're getting some really awesome guests on the podcast and people seem to find these podcasts to be valuable and um, I really, really appreciate that. And the more that this podcast grows the better it's going to become and the more cool stuff we're going to be able to do with it. And I really am looking forward to the future. I did resign from my teaching job um, to, you know, run, run Rise Pole Vault, my business, and then also, you know, run OMJ, One More Jump podcast as, you know, part of that business. So pretty exciting things coming down the line. I don't think I can make any like announcements yet about any of it but just because the timing i don't know if this podcast is going to release before or after um these you know new new changes but cool things coming down the line i get text messages sometimes from guests that i'm like oh my gosh i can't believe they agreed to do this uh but once again the scheduling is very difficult but we're gonna get it done we're getting it done folks anyway Check out risepolevault.com if you haven't. Buy some merch, something like that. Anyway, today's guest has been, it's been long awaited. Uh, I have a kind of weird position with this guest. Uh, this guest is Luke Winder, my brother, uh, world championships qualifier, five meters, 75 personal best. He's made a lot of changes this last year. One of those changes being me taking over his coaching. And so it put me in a strange position because he was going through all of these really exciting things and I wanted to get him on the podcast. But then I also had the responsibility of being his coach and protecting him from any sort of pressure that might, you know, not, you know, be, be good for him at the time. So it was really weird to try to find a time to get this podcast in. So we waited until after his season was totally over. And then we finally sat down and debriefed on it. And the thing that is cool about this podcast, I said at the beginning of the podcast, it could it could be the most awkward podcast that we've ever done, or it could be one of the coolest podcasts we've ever done. Because basically what we did is we took elite athlete and coach and we just broke down the best season of his career and why things ha- why we think things happened what we changed with Luke's training to take him from 550 every once in a while 
to making 550 plus 21 times this year and you know having i think three or four meets in a row over 570 plus um so yeah so we it's it's pretty cool it does get a little technical at times and we dive a little deep so if you know if you ever find a spot in the podcast that you're like this is too deep just you know you can skip past it it's not a big deal but we get to at the end we get to some fun stuff like how crazy luke's sleep is he's like a world champion sleeper uh if there is such a thing um we get into some of his habits such as like caffeine um he's really good at being uh disciplined in areas like that alcohol not not indulging in and stuff like that uh he has a unique ability to um to stay away from those things and it kind of just happens naturally it's pretty cool um but anyway yeah this is a long introduction i'm sorry this is my brother i am so proud of him i love him he's also my business partner and just all around cool cat so hope you guys enjoy this podcast with luke winder interviewing like a whole bunch of different people like they would come in and i would press record and then i would they would leave and i would press record again to shut it off and then they'd come back in and i press record and so it just kept on coming like people kept on coming and going and then one of those times which was on sean it just i pressed record to shut it off whenever i thought that i was pressing record Mm. to turn it on and i was just you know, I'm new to all this. Like I've been doing it for like a year, actually almost two years, but I I only do like one or two a month. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I have like hundreds of episodes. But the there. second one that you did with Sean, you like texted me. You were like, I think I forgot to press play again or something. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because that was when we were on zoom and I had switched it from usually record. You got an option whenever you record a meeting, you can either record it from uh, Zoom or that you can record it to the cloud, or you can record it locally, like to the device, which would be like my computer. And I always record it to the device. And then I got done, and the normal thing that happens didn't happen. And I was like, dude, we just did another podcast and I didn't press record for Sean Francis again. And at that time I was just like, you know what? It might just not happen if, if that, so, but we're recording now. It's got a circle and not a square, which means that it's recording. Um, so first of all, the disclaimer with the whole thing is that this podcast has the potential to become very, it could go either way. It could be the best podcast that we've ever done, or it could be the most awkward podcast that we've ever done because, I know. because you're my brother. And I know a lot about you. So a lot of the questions, like people are going to be like, dude, he's just like leading him into these questions. Like, because I know a lot of the questions. Yeah. Um, and I know the answers to a lot of the questions, but there, I've thought really hard about like, what could I ask him? you know, that I might not know. And the way that I thought would be a good way to get it 
so it's not as awkward is you and I have to debrief from this season at some point. And I was like, well, might as well record it. We could record it. And then people could see like, okay, we have an elite pole vaulter. Um, you know, what happens at the end of a season that was a good and successful season, like between an elite pole vaulter and their coach. And I was like, yeah, that could actually be kind of cool because then it would be more genuine between you and I, because we have to have this conversation regardless, Mm -hmm. you know, I agree hundred percent, but that's what my thought was. Cause I was thinking that it was, it could end up being pretty awkward (laughs) Yeah, because I know when you, Josh and I did it the first like 10 minutes. I was like, this is so weird. Right. We don't ever like plan what we're going to talk about, but yeah. yeah. But and we it, did a debrief. And it's weird because we're just sitting in my house and nobody's here. Yeah. Just me and you. It's really, <laughs> it is, it's interesting. But yeah. So could be, could go one way or the other. Uh, but yeah. So if you see me uh, messing around with stuff, Or nobody ever sees me in person, like, doing my stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's always on a computer. So, like, you see that I have notes here. And you see me, you might see me messing around with stuff. Nothing's wrong. It's good to know. I just mess around with stuff. At least you press record. Yeah, press record. And if you see me looking at my notes, it's because I haven't committed them all to memory. Um, Yeah. Okay. Um, First of all, what happened that was a wild yeah situation it's a good question that's like the question that i've gotten from everybody is like what happened this year what'd you change and i've talked to you about it i've talked to dad about it i've talked to josh my friends and there's no like simple answer to it because there's i could probably name 15 things that have changed but I would say the main couple things are some people don't know that you coach me now. So I went from, Who coached you know, you before my dad coached me before. So Tim Winder coached me before. Um, he then retired from teaching and, you know, gradually I think wanted to phase out um, from coaching and, and putting as much time into coaching. And we both saw that coming. And I think you contacted dad and was like, Hey, you know, I'd be happy to take on Luke's Luke's, uh, coaching and and i think that you thought you know you could push me to that next level and seems like that worked out pretty well but another thing is you know that along with that came a completely different view on my training um and a completely different you know dedication to doing a lot of intricate stuff in my training but also like the least intricate details in my training so like my training went from you know, I was writing a lot of my training, you know, towards the end of me and my dad working together. And so that became pretty tough for me mentally was to be able to deal with me having to, you know, think about, okay, what am I going to do in my lifts? What am I going to do in my sprints? You know, taking the time to write all that up and then also being the person who can just say, I don't really think that I'm going to do this today and, you know, not following a strict schedule, um, which I think I function really well on a strict schedule. And, Mm -hmm. You know, you detailed every single day of training. Every single day was different than the day before. Every single week was different from the week before. You know, we can dive even further into a lot of that stuff. Um, But another, you know, the second big change I would say is I did start running nine lefts, which is a big change. Um, So 
the last couple of years, I stuck to seven lefts. We were at a facility that had a 118 foot runway. I've never really run eight lefts and I don't really know if I could have fit it at that facility, but we stuck with nine lefts cause that's all I could train and do. Um, or we stuck at seven lefts cause that's all I could train. Um, but then I approached you this year and was like, why don't we just try a, try a nine? We tried it at Notre Dame and I didn't jump any worse doing it. So we were like, well, you know, and I felt like I could, you know, generate a little bit more energy. Um, and so that was a big change. But then the other one is, um, in the last couple of years, I had tried to increase my strength, but I had had a tough time increasing my strength and also keeping my weight, um, to like a somewhat decent level. So I was, you know, pushing heavy weights, but also getting closer to like 190. Um, and this year I got to the point where I was pushing even heavier weights, but was able to stay right around 180 pounds. So I was like 10 pounds less while pushing the same amount of weight, running the same speed that I was whenever I was 190. So if you factor that into, you know, the power to body weight ratio was a lot better this year. Um, and then I have a lot of support from, you know, somebody named Paul Skubik really helps me out supporting my travels and things like that. And I was able to get out so much more this year. This is the first full season I had since COVID happened. Um, last year I had six meets total this year. I had, I think 20 or 21. Um, and that makes a big difference is being able to travel around. And most of my meets I'm, you know, I jumped in one meet in Illinois the whole year. And that was, um, talking outdoors, jumped in one meet Illinois all year. And that was at North central college, my, um, alma mater. And all the other ones were in California, Arizona, in Europe, you know, a lot of other different places that I actually have good weather and, you know, I, the list goes on for the things that have changed this year, but, but those are, you know, some huge changes that have, that have happened to me this year. Yeah. I think, uh, it, the list really does go pretty deep now that like, even, even you just talking about it right there, I was just, I started thinking to myself, I, I totally forgot about the travel situation. That was huge. Um, but going back to like dad, uh, and his situation. So dad, the way that that kind of all popped up was you, no offense, just look like garbage at Reno. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we were like, what's going on here? And I had been thinking for probably a, a couple years, I was like, man, I really think that I could apply a lot of the things that I learned as a post-collegiate pole vaulter to what Luke is doing. And I, it's a weird dynamic. If, if anybody works with their parent, with their, their dad as their coach or their mom as their coach or, uh, and then like our family is, is kind of unique where we're very, very deeply intertwined with pole vaulting and, and each other's like, uh, careers and, and stuff like that. Um, but anytime you do that, you, you there's always the added layer of stepping on people's toes and stepping on people's toes that you love and respect and things like that. So like for me, it was just like I have to respect what dad has done and, you know, it's never an easy task whenever somebody, whenever, you know, you're, you go to your dad and you're like, hey, dad, I think, you know, I could, I could do as good or better. You know, like that's a very awkward 
thing to do. Yeah. So I just kind of was sitting back and just kind of watching it all kind of unfold. And dad's been coaching for what, like 30 some years, probably. Yeah. Well, he coached at North Central, I think for 30 years alone. So, and then he was in Texas, coached a little bit and then coached. Yeah. So 30 plus years of pole vaulting instruction plus his, you know, I mean, 20 year career starting whenever he was a little kid, you know, so we're at like 50 years here. Yeah. You know, well, he's, <laughs> yeah, he started when he, he just turned 61 and he started when he was 10. So 51 years of, of pole vaulting. And the thing is too, is like, there's something to be said about having a different perspective. Um, and nothing, it's funny cause nothing you tell me is anything different than what dad tells me or mm-hmm. has told me in the past. It's just that you have been where I'm at right? and have fully understood what it's like to be, you know, have that comparison trap and have all of the, like wanting to achieve all these goals, but not knowing if you have the, the correct coaching or the correct tools or the correct, you know, feeling like you have to be on the certain size pole, all of that type of stuff. You've dealt with all that too. And you've had your fair share of dealing with it well, but also your fair share of not dealing with it well. Mm. And I think like throughout high school and throughout college, you and Josh helped me to be able to understand, okay, in high school, you don't do this because that's not going to work out. And then in college, don't do this because that's not going to work out. And ironically, you know, I had, I don't mean to say this in a, like a cocky way, but like I jumped higher than you guys in high school and jumped higher than you guys in college, but I don't, I know for a fact that wouldn't be done if it wasn't for you guys going before me because of the fact that I was able to avoid so many pitfalls. And Mm -hmm. so the same thing can kind of be applied to this is where it's like, okay, I'm just turned 27. You know, that's when you kind of shut your career down a little bit was when you were 27. Yeah. For me, I want to be able to push this beyond that quite a bit. And I think the only way around that is to understand, okay, where, you know, when you were 27, what did you do wrong that I can now avoid? You know what I mean? And that's been a really big help to me. Yeah, it's uh it's a it's a classic case of just you know me I went through a lot of stuff and went through a lot of heartache and and difficult times trying to quote unquote make it as a post collegiate pole vaulter and it was just like at the end of my career I've said this many times on this podcast I just felt like it was a waste of time like I was just like man that was a huge waste of my time I didn't accomplish my goals. I didn't do what I wanted to do. All I felt like I was doing was just pushing and trying to figure things out constantly. Like it was just like, well, I'm going to try this and then, you know, maybe it worked or maybe it didn't work. And then I'll try another thing and then I'll try another thing and try another thing. And then at the end of it all, I was like, man, I felt like I was just trying to figure out how to do it the whole time. And I did figure out how to do it but I just ran out of time, you know? So that was the thing is it was just like, all right, well, I think I figured it out. I think I, I mean, nobody ever figures the whole thing out, but I figured it out to a certain extent that, that I think could have, could have brought me to a a pretty successful post-collegiate career, but I just ran out of time. You know, I had kids and, and wanted to, you know, have a career and, you know, be able to buy a house and buy a car and stuff like that. So it was just like, you know, I got a, you know, I had other people that I was, you know, needing to, not needing to, that I wanted to start 
my life with being my wife and my kids. And then it started just like, once I started rise, I was like, you know what? I, this like renewed passion for helping people get better in the pole vault, um, kind of sparked. And then I started thinking to myself, I bet any money I could get Luke to go pretty high. I was like, I, I just felt it. And then I was like, and then I, you know, eventually on that plane ride home from Reno, you and I were talking and and I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to let it rip. I'm just going to tell him exactly. Like, I think you're doing this wrong. I think you're doing this wrong. I think you could do this better and this, that, and the other. And then dad was like, by all means, please, (laughs) please take over. (laughs) And it's the crazy thing is like you and dad have, you've said it before, but you and dad were like the pioneers of like the winder pole vault. Like, right. Like you guys had a lot of stuff figured out, but you did not have a lot of stuff figured out, Mm -hmm. like just in your career, you know? And like more of it was figured out whenever Josh started vaulting. And then like a whole crud load more of it was figured out whenever I started vaulting because Mm -hmm. I, I mean, Jake and I have a eight year difference. If you guys don't know that. So a lot of people think that we're pretty close in age, but I mean, we're not fo- super so far. Yeah. And we're not, we're not super far in age, but we're, you know, eight years apart. So I'm 27 and Jake is whatever, eight years older than that is 34 yeah. maybe. Yep. Um, and so, and he's turning 35 and sorry, that's what happens, <laughs> 35. That's what happens when you're 34, <laughs> in November. you turn 35, uh, but it's just, you know, it's just crazy. And, and you know, when we were coming home and you, so basically back to the you and dad being pioneers is that you know you guys it took both of you guys to figure it out it didn't just take dad it didn't just take you it took Mm -hmm. you and dad working together to figure out that aspect of it it took josh and dad to figure out the whole going through a bunch of really bad injuries and stuff unfortunately like josh went through a lot of really bad stuff and was able to come out pretty dang well on the other side of that with all the stuff he had to go through and then because of what you guys went through, you know, that produced me, you know, and, and dad and I went through our fair, you know, our fair share of hardships as well, you know, throughout college and after college. And it just becomes difficult whenever, you know, dad and I both, I think were like, man, you know, throughout college, it was like, man, I thought we were going to be able to jump a little bit higher. But there's a lot of things that go along with that. You know, dad is probably looking around for some more answers. I'm looking around for more answers. We're both, you know, looking to try to do different things and solve different problems. And, you know, if you start to lose a little bit of belief in yourself, and I'm not saying I lost belief in dad, I think dad has the best system ever and we're following it. I think it just becomes something where I started to lose a little bit of belief in myself and that, you know was shown in me losing belief in my coaching system, the way I was training, the way that I was vaulting, the poles I was on. You know, there's just so many different rabbit holes you can go down when you start to just lose any sort of confidence in yourself. Um, And then all your coach is there for is just simply trying to make you continue to enjoy the sport. Yeah. You know, and I went through a few years there, I think, where I like came to grips with the fact that I was never going to go to a world championship and that I was never going to jump 570 or, you know, have attempts at 580. And, you know, I believe I can jump, you know, quite a bit higher than 582. And, uh, there was just some time there where I, I actually remember like sitting in my car and being like, you know what, I'm just not gonna think about trying to jump that high because I don't think it's actually going to happen. And like me thinking about that right now 
is not helping me enjoy pole vaulting. So I'm just going to try to pole vault. Mm -hmm. And that was during kind of that time of like around Reno as I was like, you know, I just kind of have to lose a little bit of hope here as bad as that sounds and just like give in and just kind of give up a little bit. But that was almost like a blessing and a curse. So the, the curse of it was that I, I really truly lost a lot of hope in pole vaulting at that time. And that was just this year, which is crazy. But I just kind of was like, well, I'm not gonna, you know, try to qualify for world teams anymore. I'm just going to try to go to USA's and have a good time going to USA's and trying to make the opening bar. You know, that's like something that we've always gone to do. And then I would, you know, and that's, I think why dad, you know, it was probably became difficult to coach as well, because it's like, I almost became a little bit of a lost cause where it's like, I didn't want to listen to anybody else. I didn't want to, you know, listen to much of what he had to say, not because I didn't believe in it, but because I had come to grips of like, I'm not really going to improve a whole lot anymore anyways. So like having a coach there or not having a coach there didn't really matter to me. Um, and that's like really sad, unfortunately. But then I think you came in at a time and just kind of were like, no, dude, like you can't, you really can, but you just have to fully get used to being coached again and get used to the fact that like, yeah, right now you kind of do like, for lack of a better word, you're like not very good right now. And like mm -hmm. in comparison to what I wanted to be. And you're like, but if you give it some time and you like fully dedicate yourself to a system, you'd be good again. And you'll surprise yourself where you're going to be. And I didn't think that it would ever end up where we are right now. But, you know, I think it was a perfect time to transition because I just needed a full on change of something, a change of heart, really. And you were able, like, as my brother too, you're able, like, my dad loves me so much that it was probably really hard for him to be like, go through another five years of telling me like, Hey, you know, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. You just got to listen to me. You just got to listen to me. But when I hear that over and over again, it's like, man, that's hard to continue to come back every off season and then like go and do training and go and do this and do that. And whenever you came in, it was just kind of a renewed, um, perspective. And you as my brother, were able to kind of give me that heart to heart that I was looking for of like, you can do this. You just need to accept the fact that like, I'm basically going to tell you exactly what dad wants to tell you, but is kind of just tired of telling you right now. You know what I mean? And, and is yeah. like kind of, and also he's retired and, and wants to enjoy time with my mom, which I want him to enjoy that more than anything. That's kind of a big reason why, you know, I was ready to move on was because I was like, you know what? Dad has blessed me with more time than, and all of us with more time than we could ever imagine. You right. know, if people don't understand, like I was early high school while Josh was late college while you were post-collegiate. Yeah. So what he was going to all of that and he was a full-time college coach and a full-time teacher Yeah. and trying to be a dad and a husband. So, I mean, he absolutely worked himself into the ground. And at that point, you know, you get a little burnt out. And he I was think just he, exhausted. He was just exhausted, a little bit burnt out. And you freed him up of that and were able to rejuvenate me as well, which is crazy. And then we yeah. did all of that stuff. He, he <laughs> was just, he was just exhausted. It was just like, you know, he just got to a point where it was just like, it's just, I'm exhausted. I'm just done. 
you know, and I could see it and, and you could see it. And, and that is, that's not the recipe for success. Like if, if the athletes coming in and they can see that their coach is just tired and doesn't want to be there, it's like, man, this it's, you know, not very motivating. I always talk about how it's a two way street. Like athletes come in, they listen to their coach, they get better. The ath- the coaches, the athlete is motivated by the coach giving them, you know, heartfelt instruction, you know, yeah, that motivates the athlete. Then the athlete listens to the coach and the athlete starts to get better, which motivates the coach because the coach sees that what they're doing is working and that feels good. And then them seeing that it's working motivates them, which goes back to the athlete seeing that the coach is excited and motivated to help them. It's the flywheel concept that I always talk about, you know, it just, and you just continue to turn that wheel. And if you continue to turn that wheel, then, you know, it starts to roll. And then once it starts to roll, then you don't have to push it as hard. You know, it just kind of starts to gain its own momentum. And and that's what happened. There's something to be said for like when an athlete's in there and, you know, the coach is kind of tired, but there's also something to be said for when the coach is in there and the athlete looks is dead and tired too. And at that time, dad and I were both, I think mutually just like, it's just, we are just both burnt. Like we're just both spent completely. Mm -hmm. You know, we've exhausted every, like we've exhausted every Avenue. Like, you know, when you're an elite vaulter, people, you know, you're in, when you're a high school vaulter, you're always looking around for answers people don't understand that elite vaulters do the exact same thing. Like people are always just constantly looking for answers, getting burnt out, trying to like find a solution that's been in front of them the whole time. Like dad was in front of me the whole time. His methods were in front of me the whole time. I just needed it to be placed in front of me a little more aggressive with you. Like that's just exactly what happened. And I think at Reno, we're at like the Disneyland of pole vault, like the happiest place on earth. And both of us are just like spent. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but, just... and it's just like, that's when you know that there's like something kind of needs to be done is when you're like, dang, man, we're at like the happiest pole vault place on earth. Right. And both of us are just like, man, I just kind of want to be home right now <laughs> yeah. and like not really be pole vaulting. And I went up to him after that and you were, you and him were both in the coach's box. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to take the rest of the indoor season off like i just don't really want to do this anymore for the Mm -hmm. indoor season and you know two months later later i jumped a pr indoors that i hadn't jumped in six years and that was just through like long diligent like consistent work that we put in that i just kind of had to put one foot in front of the other and really really dedicate myself to like those daily and weekly like accomplishments was simply like, Hey, you completed the workout for the week. Yeah. Nice work. Yeah. That's what I, the main role that I think that I played in the whole thing was just that I gave you something. I relieved you. So at the end of that situation, like around the Reno time, and this is probably so common. I I would just go so far to say that this is probably just across the board. Every pole vaulter and coach kind of goes through this. Um, but you were talking about how, like, uh, it's just like, you know, some with a high school vaulter, the big secret is that elite pole vaulters are just big high school pole vaulters. <laughs> like they're, they're big, yep. strong, fast high school pole vaulters that grip really high and jump higher. 
That's that's literally that's what it is. And that was what I kind of recognized is I was like, you know what? I had thought that in my head for a while, like, oh, well, I've got to be as a coach, I've got to be something extravagant and somebody who knows like an incredible amount about, you know, the elite pole vault scene and, and like this and that and the other. And it was and then I I like came to this kind of realization that I was just like, you know what? I guarantee that Luke's just a big version of himself in high school. You know? Yeah, and we've been following the same, like the rise system that we do at our gym is the exact, almost the exact same system that I follow in my workouts. And I have for, since I learned how to pole vault really well, which was like my sophomore year of high school, like we went through all those drills, you know, which we do still now pretty much, you know, a lot of the time and jumps at a bungee we don't jump at a bar a whole lot like it's just the same system that i've followed throughout my whole career from high school it's just that i've gotten stronger faster gotten onto longer poles doing the exact same thing right you know what i mean right and there are things obviously that that change sprinting training has changed a whole lot right that's been a big change because that i think similar to what hartwig talked about in his podcast is like you start your life, your career in pole vaulting, needing to be a worse athlete and a better pole vaulter. And then you end your career needing to be a better athlete and a worse pole vaulter. Yeah. You know, or like less focus on pole vault, more focus on being a better athlete. And right. that's a big thing that we did this year is it was like, I would come in vault workouts were one day a week and I would take six jumps and that's no exaggeration. Jake would have me do, I would take, uh, a plant from four lefts, a jump from four lefts. And then I would go back to full approach and I would take a plant from seven lefts, which is not my, not even my full approach. And I would take six jumps and then that was it. We'd Mm -hmm. be done with our workout in like 45 minutes and then we would go on our merry way. Yeah. And, and I think that there's kind of, there's more than this, but there's like kind of three like main things that I saw whenever I was on that flight home and we were talking and I was like, you know, number one, I think that you, you know, we have always gone by the saying that, uh, physical toughness precedes mental toughness. Like if you, if you're mental, if you think about all the times in your career that you were mentally very like solid like where it's just like very confident and very solid then you probably will see the correlation with like oh yeah that also is the same time that i was pretty pretty freaking strong pretty fast and you physically were very tough too you know so that that was one thing is i was like i think you're just doing a bunch of bs stuff like i think Oh, and I didn't cover this. I meant to, I keep on uh, forgetting about it is that dad, you and dad, this is the thing that I think happens a lot of times is that as you get older, you started to like, let me, let me kind of have coach as my dad as my coach. Let me kind of have him as my coach. Like, you know, he'll be there. If I could do this on my own. Yeah. He'll be there. (laughs) He'll be there on the work on the vault days. But like, let me, you know, I'll write my own training. I'm going to write my own training and, and I'm going to do basically everything. He'll be there to catch my step on, on vault days. But in the back of my head, I'm, I'm, he's not really my coach, you know, like I'm, I'm going to take this thing, you know? Yeah. So then you're playing Turns two roles. Doesn't work out too well. No, no, because <laughs> you're playing two roles. You're playing the role of the athlete and you're playing the role of the coach. And what that was the biggest thing that I noticed that I was like, you got it. We got to get rid of that. Like you, you can't, you can't 
be the athlete. You can't be the coach. You can't have a full-time job. You can't be married. You can't have to cover rent. You can't have to go grocery shopping and, and do all of, do your laundry and do all of that stuff. You can't go through, you know, your life. Uh, you need to take one of those things away. And one of those things that would benefit your pole vaulting career is if you took the coaching aspect away, because you've been coaching yourself and you've been being the athlete you know, and you, those two things have to be separate because whenever you come into a workout as the athlete, you might not see, you know, the things that, that I see, you know, and, and those two things have to be separated, I believe. Um, and, and yeah, so that was the big thing that I wanted to do is I was like, I think you're coaching yourself. I don't really believe that dad's coaching you. You know, I, on the plane, I was like, oh, I don't believe that. I think that's BS, you know, cause I went through that. I was like, oh no, I heard that so-and-so over here is doing this, you know, so I've got to do, I'm going to try to do that. It's like, did dad tell me to do that? No. Well, um, you know, yeah, maybe dad doesn't know about this. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's like the comparison, like pull that a little closer to your, uh, that's like there. the worst thing is the comparison trap is like always thinking that there's somebody out there that's doing something that I need to do. That's why it bugs me so much whenever I'm coaching. And I know other coaches out there at gyms and clubs can probably relate to this. Whenever a kid comes up to you and they're like, well, you know, Mondo tucks and you know, he's a, you know, or like, you know, Piotr Lisa yells before he, you know, goes down the run, you know, all of that, like those little things. Number one you know, thing, let me get this out there. Don't ever compare yourself to Mondo Duplantis. That's absolutely correct. Just don't do it. You save yourself a lot of heartache. Yeah. Don't try to be Mondo Duplantis. But there's just so many, like there's so many kids and it, the same thing applies though. Like elites are just big high school pole vaulters because we struggle with the same issues is that there's so many people out there that compare themselves to Mondo. I've been one of them too, where it's like, man, if you know, I tuck and so does Mondo, you know, yeah. maybe I could get, maybe I could jump 21 feet. That, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's just so many times where kids will come up to you and be like, Hey, well, you know, I saw Mondo do this or Sam Kendricks do this or anybody you could, you know, put, put a name on anybody, but it's the issue is that the gifts that we've been blessed with, like there's so many things that I see a high school kid do that I'm like, man, this kid like really gets upside down really fast you know, and moves their pull through really well. And then that kid will come off the pit and be like, Hey, but like I was watching a video of Mondo or I was watching a video of this person and they do this. Should I start trying to do that? And I'm like, dude, your biggest asset is what you're doing. That's not that, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And then that starts them on a downward spiral and it just gets difficult at times, but the elites are the exact same way. You know, we'll compare ourselves to anybody and everybody, but that's, I think a big thing that helps too, is that I spend probably 85% less time on social media this year. And that has been a blessing. Yeah. And that's <laughs> I because that. I, I had you on these social media fasts. That's what yeah. I would call them. I would be like, you would need to okay. post and ghost is what you called it. Post and ghost. Yeah. That that's a good concept. And you, I would be like, okay, all right, now you finished your workout. It's Friday. Okay. You need, you're on a social media fast you're on a pole vaulting fast. I'm not giving you any of your video. You don't get to see any of your video. I didn't even get to see videos whenever I was in the workout pole vaulting. 
Yeah. He wouldn't have me watch it. We have a 75-inch TV that would just be set there on like an automatic playback that would play back at real time, but he would be taking coach's eye video, slowing it down for himself, but I wouldn't he wouldn't let me watch it. Yeah, because that's not that's that's my lane. And you don't need to be in my lane. You need to be in the athlete lane. I'm in the coach's spot, you know, like and that and that and whenever we took that responsibility away from you, um, you know, going back to what I was talking about before is that you didn't, you, you were your own coach. You, you know, if you really were honest with yourself, like, is like, you were just pretending like you were dad, that dad was, you know, coaching you, you yeah, know, you like and, go too far down the rabbit hole where there was like no real coming back. Yeah. Where I like went just a little bit too far and it was like, dang, yeah, kind of messed this one up. So, yeah. So that was the biggest thing. First of all, that I kind of had to explain to you is like you, you're, you're the athlete, I'm the coach and it's, it's not, you can't bear both burdens. You can't do both. You know, you have to just bear one of those, which is the athlete's role. And then it just frees up your mind because then it's like, wow, all I have to do is uh, execute what's on the paper. If I execute what's on the paper, then I can let go of it at the end of it. I don't have to go home and look at my video for an hour and a half. You know, I don't have to go home and think about these things because I know that somebody else is doing that thinking for me and they have my best interest in mind. So you just doing that athlete role was the big one big thing. And I would continue to tell you like, all right, I wrote your workouts, just do the workouts. If you just do the workouts, then you can, you can rest assured that you're doing everything that you can. Worst case scenario is that you get worse and this doesn't work and it's not even your fault. It's my fault. Yeah. And I wasn't getting any better anyways. So right. <laughs> right. Like but that's the thing. That. So it's is like, I, like, I tell people that I work with all the time is I'm like, what's the worst thing that could happen is that I tell you to do something and then you do it and it doesn't and you know, you do it over a long period of time and it doesn't work. Guess what? You can blame me because I told you to do it. But if you if you are constantly like second guessing everything that I'm telling you and you're playing that role of coach then I've got the power because I'm like, Hey man, that's not on me. That's on you because you're the one that's playing the coach role. You're playing the coach role and the athlete role. I'm just standing here now, you know? So now it's just like, all right, you know, you can relieve so much pressure off of yourself. If you get involved with a coach that knows what they're doing and you can trust, which that's extremely hard to find. But if you can find that, then you can relieve yourself of that, of that burden, you know? And so that was the first thing that I saw is that we needed to establish that relationship. And then I needed to write up workouts that cut out all that BS that you were doing. Like the thing is, is you were, you were doing when I explained to you the concept of needle movers, like needle moving exercises. Okay. So what what are you doing? And this is, I ask a question at the end of almost every podcast where I say, okay, if we were to whittle everything down to three exercises, like what would they be? And the reason I do that is because those are the needle moving exercises for that person. And people don't realize that whenever you're in a workout and you're pole vaulting and you're going through your workout, every single thing that you do in that workout expends energy. It puts wear and tear on your body. And 
you know, you are giving up a precious commodity, which is time, you know? So if you're going to give up that precious commodity, which is time to an exercise, that exercise better be freaking really good. I know. I, <laughs> you know, I was th- actually, I'm going to name drop here, but Trey Oates one time, I, I don't know when he said this, but it might've been on like, maybe he has like a little podcast with Nate Hyatt, but, um, I heard him say one time, he's like, it takes a really confident person to take one day off. And I can apply that to like, it takes a really confident person to go into a workout, do 30 minutes of working out and leave Mm -hmm. and not go into a workout and feel like they have to spend two hours where the 30 minutes of that meant something. But the other hour and a half was them doing stuff that really isn't going to do a crazy amount much to get make you become a better pole vaulter. Now, like a lot of people, that might be like controversial because like some of that stuff for me is like spending a bunch of extra time like stretching or rolling out after a session, which I think is beneficial to you. Do you need to spend 30 minutes doing it though? Probably not. Spending a bunch of time doing like little tiny drills that are probably not going to do a whole lot for you. Now, whenever you're in high school and you don't know how to plant your pole, I think that stuff's really important. Right. But whenever you're 27 years old and you've been vaulting for almost 15 years at this point, it's like, like my plant, like some of my stuff that I do is not going to change a whole lot, but being 27, I can benefit from going and hitting some super heavy squats. A few set of super heavy squats, some super heavy cleans, you know, fast sprints, things like that. And you obviously can't do all that in one day. So it's like, okay, well, one of these days you're going to be hitting some squats and maybe something else. And then one of these days you're going to be doing some pretty hefty sprints and something else. And one of these days you're going to be doing some heavy cleans and then something else. And it's just not like, okay, we're going to go in and, you know, like you said, there's, you're putting wear and tear on your body too. Like, I don't want to go and vault and then squat and then clean and then do sprints afterwards or like vault a whole bunch and then do a whole bunch of sprints after that. Like I need to do stuff that's going to maintain my body, but also cause me to get better over time. Like you can't just go in. Like I, I love whenever kids come back from like college or something and they'll come into rise and then they'll start hitting like two hour long workouts or something after their session. Right. And then they don't, you don't see them come in for another two weeks because they got so sore <laughs> that it took them two weeks to recover. And it's like, imagine if you just kind of did some small stuff, but you did it all really efficiently mm-hmm. and you like increased your weight gradually over time and got to the point where like your workouts, you know, may only take 25, 30 minutes, you know, at the most 45 minutes or an hour, but you're doing that and you're actually doing it consistently. Well, instead of doing one workout every two weeks, you're doing two workouts a week. And by that two week time, you've done four or five workouts as opposed to just doing one. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's kind of like, I think what I was doing beforehand was like, I would go and spend a bunch of time doing a bunch of random stuff that didn't mean anything. And I wouldn't spend the, a considerable amount of time on the stuff that actually mattered, which was like actually getting my body and my nervous system firing appropriately. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the thing too, is that like, there's just a lot of misconceptions in the exercise industry and, and in the sports world, you know, where, you know, we've talked about it a few times on the podcast where it's like, uh, 
if I do more, then I'm going to get better. And the problem is, is that that doesn't hold up. Like, here's an example, that rolling and that stretching. Okay. Go up to anybody who's doing that and just say, why are you doing that? And then they'll be like, uh, cause I'm going to be, I need to, uh, be, uh, be flexible. I need to, you know, why do you need to be flexible? Uh, and that's probably about as far as you'll get with most people. (laughs) And and it'd be like, okay, like I, I can, I can go up to anybody and just say, okay, why are you doing that? And if you can't explain to me why you're doing that, then don't do it. Like, what the heck? Well, and it's just like the same concept can be applied. It's like, and I know we keep going back to rolling and stretching, but it's like the rolling and stretching, for example. I like rolling and stretching. I, I like it too, but like done efficiently. It's like, okay, what parts of your body need to be rolled and stretched? Yeah. Like you don't got to roll and stretch your freaking like temple or, you know, yeah, like, or right. like the, you know, you don't have to roll and stretch from head to toe every single day for 35 minutes. Like you can go in, hit the crucial body parts, be done in five or 10 minutes and be like, all right, that was better. And then you could do that over time you know, figure out a routine doing that. But also like warming up for me too changed a whole lot. Like I used to spend 45 minutes sometimes warming up. And if you're in Chicagoland area or Colorado or somewhere that's like getting cold in the winter, it does take a little while to get warmed up. Mm -hmm. However, I think a lot of that, like most of the time I would warm up for 20 minutes and then I, the rest of the 20, I'd spend 25 more minutes trying to get more warmed up to make my body feel better and that extra 25 minutes at the end of it, I wouldn't feel any better. Yeah. I would just feel looser. There's a concept too that I've thought about for a long time and we're jumping all over the freaking place right now. <laughs> yeah. But there's a concept that I've thought about for a long time and, and that is like the adaptation of your body to your routine. Okay. So if you come in there and you say, okay, I'm going, I've got to do... Th- as people go on in their career, they have a doctor tell them that they need to do this. And then they have a coach tell them that they need to do this. And then they meet an athlete that tells them they need to do this. And then all of a sudden they've got this routine that's like 45 minutes to an hour of warming up. And they, they go through that routine and they're teaching their body. Okay. This is what I have to do to get to that performance level, like of running that, let's say that the performance level is running down the runway for the first time, you know, at full speed. Talk. Okay. So Luke had to use the restroom. Yeah. You were talking about the adaptation, but that's how I felt is it was like I had adapted my body to, to need it, to need, to need that time and to need 20 minutes. I would literally roll out for 20 minutes before I started my warm up. Then I would start my warm up, and I remember you being like, you know, like biologically, like with your muscles, that actually isn't helping you pole vault any higher, actually, either. Mm-hmm. It's actually doing the opposite because when you're, I mean, you could be going through a full workout, yeah, before you take your first run down the runway, which the workout being your warm up. And I think that there's something to be said about flexibility and power having like an inverse relationship, too. Like, right, higher flexible people can output less power. Mm-hmm. and vice versa not that you want to like we have, don't know that for sure but <laughs> <laughs> well I, I learned that in school i think there we go but uh 
I think that there's something to be said for like, if you're a pole vaulter, you don't really want to be like, that's why people talk about like static stretching before like lifting Yeah, right. is right. not smart because you're actually going to be able to reduce your power mm-hmm. or you're going to be reducing your power doing that. So like I stretch and stuff. I use a, like those voodoo floss bands and do a little bit of stretching and stuff before I warm up. But I, I just don't spend as much time doing stuff that I used to think was like absolutely necessary because I saw like Sam Kendricks do it one time. Or like right. I saw like Mondo do this one Let time or I saw like Mondo do this one time, like online. Hey, I need to start doing this now. It's like mm-hmm. what works for me works for me. And if somebody wants to do what I want to do, I'd probably just not do it and do what works for you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but that's the thing is that like you can adapt your body to needing an hour to warm up and then you're screwed because you need an hour to warm up. And then it's like, oh man. But if you think about it, I don't know this for sure, but I, I'm I know that there's. Uh, I'm not, you know, saying that you should reduce your warm up to one minute, like some of the people we work with. Um, <laughs> the thing is, is that, but you could think about it as, okay, well, maybe I want to send my body the signals that a 20 minute warm up is good. You know, you can go back the other direction where your body can adapt to less of a warm-up. And then if you're doing less of a warm-up and still achieving the same amount of, you know, ability to, you know, exert. And actually get your muscles warm. Get your more muscles warm. Then all of a sudden you've reduced, you know, your energy expenditure by 40 minutes. You know, it's yeah. like, holy cow. Okay, well, maybe I don't need all of that. And then it goes back to why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? Are you doing it because of a specific reason or are you doing it just because somebody told you to do it? Okay, well, somebody told you to do that. Okay, Uh, do they know what they're talking about? Do they know, like, is it just some random dude off the street or some dude that you met at a pole vault camp a long time ago? Like, do you even know the guy's name? Or knees over toes guy, Arnie. <laughs> knees over toes guy, which I do like Ben he Patrick. Is, he is good. Knees over toes I always guy. give Arnie a hard time. He's a vaulter of ours at Rise. He he lives and breathes the knees over toes dude. <laughs> and I love it, but it's just uh, the same thing. Like, I got knees over toes the other day oh, with yeah. my knee. And yeah. my knees are not going over my toes anymore <laughs> because my knee got all messed up. So this anyway, is the, this is the last thing I'll say about the warm up. That same concept can bleed into your actual pole vaulting warm up in a track meet where like, for example, Reno, I probably took like eight jumps in the warm up. Yeah. That was and bad. then all you bad were, jumps. Yeah. All of them were bad. <laughs> yeah. I remember they were like the bungees at 550 and Nick Highsong was like, there is no way that bungees at 550. That I is know. lower than 550. And we were all missing it. I know. <laughs> it was know. not good. There was a lot of, yeah, we were all struggling a little bit. But uh, then whenever you started coaching me too, you were like really strict on what I could do in my meets. You'd be like one plant from four, one finish from four go back to seven or, or nine, depending on whenever I moved back to my full approach. Right. And you get one plant from nine and one finish from nine. Yep. And then, and then it was like, then when the, and then just open up low. And then like, obviously when it gets to outdoor season, it's a little different because you have different weather that you have to get used to. But at the most I would take two or three jumps in warmups, you know? Yeah. And you want to, let's do what I told everybody not to do and compare ourselves to Mondo. Um, at worlds this year, that was, I mean, Mondo setting the world record was really amazing. It was really cool to watch and fun to watch. Um, he's 
an outstanding, he's an anomaly. He's, he's just insane. But what was the most insane thing to me was the qualification because the qualification round, he like moseyed out there, then took like one swing through, then went to like maybe like four or something and then like flipped it up one time from four, grabbed his giant pole, whatever he's jumping on, went, ran down the runway full bore, just jumped off the ground, flipped upside down, did some sort of weird squirrely jump that didn't even look like a finish. And then he starts putting his poles back in his bag. I know. And, and then I he, was like, hold on, his warm-ups done on that bad warm-up yeah. jump? And then he goes and he, you know, you know, smokes like 65 or whatever it yeah. was to qualify. And I was like, okay, there you have it. That dude right there is freaking efficient, man. Like no movement, no excess movement, no excess movement. And that's what I really i really like to challenge myself as a coach all the time with you is like okay what is the one another concept that we've kind of lived and lived and died by this year is minimum effective dose what is the minimum that luke will have to do whether it be training you know sprinting lifting vaulting in the warm-up whatever what is the what is the minimum that he has to do in order to be at his best? Because if we do anything over that minimum, that minimum effective dose, that is excess movement that we don't need. We just don't need that excess stuff, you know? So that was this, that, you know, bleeds into, so the first thing was that you had to have a coach and you had to adhere to the coach's, guidelines and then the second thing is just the training the training changed i think and i think that we i started explaining to you about needle movers um which are exercises that move the needle they move the needle in the positive direction you know what are we doing bicep curls for okay is that a needle mover no uh do you think think that stuff helped me to maintain the weight too like that i was talking about is like i wasn't spending a lot of time doing like that like bicep curls and like calf raises and like things like that that just put on like mondo's dad i think said on the podcast like um any muscle that you aren't using when you're pole vaulting is just weighing you like it's just weighing you down and like not work it's working against you so i was like well that's a good point like i'll do exercises that we'll do exercises that are like directly relating to me getting better at pole vaulting and nothing more so that i don't have to put on the extra weight yeah. Even if it's like I, whenever I weighed 190, I wasn't like like chunky. Mm. I just was like real like big. Like I You're was just a like beefcake. Man. I was like big, yeah, a beef, like I just had big like bigger arms, bigger legs, bigger butt, like all that stuff. But like now it's just more like strong. It's dialed too. There's it's, no excess muscle, no excess anything. We just have everything that we need and nothing else. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That is minimum effective dose, and that is a really good way to live your life, too. You can carry that into any sort of thing. But that was the thing, is it was just like, okay, Luke, you're going to go in, you're going to warm up, you know, this will be your workout today, is um, you're going to do a set of 
I don't even, I'm terrible. I shouldn't know. This well, is like a set that. of like three cleans and yeah. then you're going to do two cleans and then you're going to do one clean and then you're going to go home. Yeah. That's pretty much what it comes down to. And so and like a like, workout wh- like that, if even if you're taking five minutes in between your sets, like with like a five minute warm up, right? <laughs> like it's like five minute warm up, do a set. I mean, that ends, you end up tallying that up to 20 minutes. Right. And then after that, usually I would do like some ab roller stuff and that, you know, I'm taking two minutes in between sets on that. You're looking at like a 26 minute workout and you're out of there. Yeah. But the even crazier thing to think about is I'm, I'm reading this book, uh, by Doug, I think it's Doug McGruff called, uh, body by science. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but, uh, it's a really cool book because, it's exactly what we're talking about here is whenever you actually, okay, how much working time are you doing on a day like that? You're probably going to be under three to four minutes of work. Yeah. How many, how long does it take to do three cleans? I don't know, 15 seconds. Okay. How long does it take to do two cleans? 10 seconds. Okay. We're at, 25 seconds that yeah. you've been working and then all of a sudden and then it's like how long it take to do one one clean you know uh, 10 five seconds whatever it doesn't take five seconds it takes one second to yeah. do to do a clean um so literally your clean workout there would be some times where the actual work if you separate it from the rest the actual work that you're doing could be less than 10 to 15 seconds there were some more crazy if you think of, and that's crazy. And the hard thing is, is it's just too hard for people to wrap their head around. It's yep. too hard for people. To, and that's when you go back to what Trey said is it's just like, dude, you got to be really confident to come in there and be like, Hey, I'm going to have, you know, 10 seconds of working time today. And that's going to be my workout. And that is what's going to get me to the world championships. How do you wrap your head around that? How do you wrap your head around that? And that, that comes back to who are you listening to? Are you listening to somebody who's educated on, you know, the science of exercise or are you listening to somebody who just does what's always been done? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If you're listening to somebody who's just does what always been done, you know, they're, you know, I don't want to put a high school coach on blast because they have a interesting job because they've got to serve like a hundred track athletes. And they also are serving, it's, 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 I'm going to use myself as an example instead. How do you explain to, uh, a person who comes and pays me, you know, however much money to pole vault with me? And I say, all right. Uh, we're going to do probably about 30 seconds of work today. Yeah. That's a little tough, tough sell. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, but that's the thing is that like, okay, well I could, I could fill this. I could fill it. Like you want me to just fill it with stuff? Cause I could just fill it with stuff. Why don't I just, uh, yeah. Oh no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Well, okay. That is the minimum effective dose. That's what's actually, that's the meat and potatoes. That's what's going to move the needle. Okay, but that's not enough. So let me just fill this up with some other, you know, BS stuff. Yeah. And it's like, that's where we got with you, where it was just like, you know, we have to cut the excess fat, you know. Now, a vault workout is different because a vault workout, 
you know, you actually have to run down the runway a lot of times and you got to, you know, technique work. But as far as like speed and strength training, that was one thing that I was really happy that you were able to wrap your head around was that you don't have to do as much you think as you think you have to do to be. Yeah. And if your intensity is super high too, it's like, that was kind of what we did too, is like we kept the intensity high, like almost the whole year. Not like, like we gradually went through those four week cycles and like each week had more intensity, less volume. And then we would reset and do another four weeks. But the first week, although it would be pretty high volume, it was never like crazy, crazy, crazy high volume. It's not like we're doing like six sets of 10 or anything like that. Like we're just Mm -hmm. doing, you know, I think it was like four sets of six was like the highest volume that we had, which would end up getting me pretty sore, but we would always keep the intensity pretty high and you can't, have the intensity super high and do that for two hours, you know, like you can have the intensity high, but then like, as it starts to fall off, the last thing in my opinion that we wanted to train was like me functioning at a lower level than a hundred percent. Like the goal was to always every single vault, hundred percent effort, hundred percent effort, hundred percent effort. And if it ever fell off, it was like, well, now we're just creating bad habits and Mm -hmm. like continuing to get your mind used to not functioning at a hundred. Yeah. And we hit that minimum effective dose and it's just like, okay, well maybe this day. And the other thing too, is I did track a lot of data with you too. So that enabled me to make much easier choices. Yeah, like if I, another rabbit hole we can go I know, down now I, too. as I'm talking to you right now, I'm just thinking to myself about how this could run on to be an extremely, extremely well, let's just long list podcast. The, the, uh, the main data that you did. So we did, he gave me his aura ring that he used to wear. Mm -hmm. Um, an aura ring like tracks your sleep, tracks heart rate, heart rate variability, deep sleep, REM sleep. Those are the things Mm -hmm. that he had me, he would have me fill that out every single morning and put it into the workout calendar that he had for that week. It would be deep sleep, REM sleep, HRV, and then, uh, just uh, resting, resting heart, heart rate, rate. Yeah, and then resting heart rate and so he would be able to like see if my resting heart rate was super high or my hrv was super low or both that it's like okay we need to kind of decrease the intensity a little bit and vice versa if it was we never really like bumped up my training a whole lot if it was like super high but it would just be noted that like okay luke's feeling pretty good you know if it's a clean day and i'm you know my hrv was like a hundred or close to a hundred, it's like, okay, you can hit the weights pretty hard. But if it was like HRV was down below 70 or around 70, he'd be like, okay, like don't go for any PRs or anything today. Yeah. If you don't need to. I would never add to the workouts. I only used the aura ring if I needed to subtract from the workouts. Like I, I never, I, I write the workouts and once those workouts are written, the only option is to subtract. I don't, I don't like, like I would never, and I mean, never say never, but I would, I wouldn't, you know, if I saw a super high HRV, I wouldn't be like, let's add two more sets. Well, cause it's a minimum effective dose thing. Like we found it. So right. like we're sticking with that, but if anything, the minimum effective dose would go down. Right. If you're sick or if you're not feeling good, it's like, okay, well this wouldn't be effective because this would probably throw you into an even worse sleep cycle tomorrow. So then the only thing we could do is decrease. Yeah. And that could go, you know, down its own, own rabbit hole yeah, as so well. What's another, what's another, uh, like thing that we tracked. 
Well, before I move on on that, so with the aura ring too, there's another thing that I did, which was I didn't allow you to, I didn't have you track those metrics. Um, the, I think I stopped, I would have meet. two days before me. Yeah. Two days before me, because if you use biotech, which like is like technology, like some sort of tracking device, like the aura ring or, or something like that, you can get addicted to those numbers. You know, another thing that I didn't have you do is weigh yourself because uh, mm-hmm. you can get addicted to those numbers and then you can become a slave to them. And then it's like if you wake up the day of a meet and you look at your aura ring numbers and it says that you're, you know, going to die, you know, it's like, it's like well, well this is great. This I'm not going to have awesome. a very good meet, you yeah. know, where... Uh, that's not necessarily the case. So I was like, well, if you're going to go to the meet and you're going to jump anyways, then why don't we just mitigate the risk of you having a mental shutdown and you're not allowed to look at those numbers two days before the meet, you know? So same thing with like weighing in, weighing yourself too, like, like feeling heavy or feeling really light. And it's like, oh, I'm light. Maybe I'm like a little weaker or like, right. or I'm heavy. Maybe I'm a little too heavy for like yeah. the bulls I want to get on and stuff like that. I, he would weigh me, or he wouldn't ever weigh, he would never like weigh me, but it would just be like, if we had a workout and it was like after a workout, we'd just be like, all right, I'll step on the scale just to like see, get an idea. But that would maybe be like once every month or something like that. Yeah. And that was not an idea for like, is he heavy right now? Is he light right now? It was, I just want to know what his weight is whenever he's jumping 570 plus. For like next year. For next yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so we did that. And then um, we, yeah, we just really went into the, that that training plan. End of the year, end of the year, we did a, the velocity tracker, which I think we'll get more next oh, year. Oh, the bar. Yeah, the bar velocity tracker, which is, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that you can go into with this stuff, man. Yeah. I'm realizing that now as we get deeper. But at the end, the, at the end, like <laughs> the thing that was cool is that the only time we so Jake ordered a velocity tracker for like the bar for whenever I'm doing power cleans, basically, so that we can track wattage and don't always need to like amp up the weight until it's like falling off the bar. Um, but the only time we used it, we got it in the week of Worlds. Which is awesome. Or like the week before I left for Worlds. Right. And so it was my last heavy lifting day before World Championships. And we got it in and I hit a PR and like we got the, the wattage and the data for like the week, bef- like my strongest week of the entire season. So we can kind of like see. So now all we got to do is we just have to get back to somewhere around there. Yeah. You know, like it, it doesn't have to be exactly that or or more, but um, but yeah so that was that was a big one is oh and the other thing too is the reason we got into this down this rabbit hole was because i would time your runway speed over the last 10 meters of your run um and the flying and i mean and flying tins too in my workouts those the flying tin numbers were the only ones i was able to see because i would be there running my sprints alone so i would track those but then in practice you never let me see any of my yeah i'd never let him see he still doesn't know how fast he's running on the runway um because he doesn't need to know if he's smoking 560 from seven in a workout i'm not gonna tell him anything 
if I'm running slow or fast, <laughs> right. it doesn't really matter. Right. <laughs> I don't care. It's because at the end of the day, the result is what, if the result is where we want, but now I have that data. So now I can be like next year, I can be like, Hey, I would never say this to him, but to, you know, to myself, I can look back and just be like, you know what? He's a little slow right now. Or I can hopefully, you know, be like, man, he's ready to pop something. Like, that's what I knew. I knew, you know, that week going into Worlds, I was like, well, it's there. Everything's there. His numbers are there. His body is clicking. You know, everything's there. So anything can happen, you know. And that's kind of a, a a cool thing, you know, whenever you do that. So what, when... I forget. So that was two things. There was one other thing that um, I'm forgetting now, but that was a lot. It was a lot to digest, and I apologize to anybody who <laughs> who uh, yeah. Are you saying about lost. like the the big changes? Yeah, there was three big changes. There I was think you letting me coach you, me doing minimum effective dose and training. Then, um, I traveled a buttload and then travel yeah Yeah, travel that's the hard one that's the hard one because that's not available to everybody and it's like well luke's jumping so well man like and i'm back here in illinois and it's april and i'm not doing well well luke's jumping in arizona yeah (laughs) yeah and and that's the thing too is like it may look to some people like man luke's got the life like he's traveling around all these different meets this, that, and the other thing, but like, I can tell you this much, it'd be a lot stinking easier if we were based in Arizona or like based in Texas or like, I would never have to travel. And that's the thing is that like, it looks like so much fun. Like I just got back from the Bahamas, for example, that was like probably the worst run meet I've ever been in in my life. We jumped into like a 30 mile an hour headwind. It was unsafe. We didn't have any poles, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so like there's situations that I deal with that are very similar to what the high school kids are dealing with, but they, but I also like, I am traveling. So like going to my different meets, most of the time I'm jumping in a meet that's on a Saturday. I'm traveling out on Friday night, landing, going to bed, waking up, competing, going back to my hotel room, flying out the next morning. Yeah. And usually it's a flying out at the next morning at 5.30 a.m. or 6 a.m. because I'm trying to get home in time to where I can catch up on my emails and then go and coach. Mm -hmm. And so like people don't understand that it's like I there's a lot of posts I have that are in different states because I literally seem to only pull vault in every state. But if you can imagine like being a high school athlete going to every single meet that they go to on weekends, imagine putting a four and a half hour flight to every single one of those meets on each end of that. So it's like me, you know, going and thankfully my wife is like the most amazing person ever because she is my ride or die when it comes to taking me to the airport and pick me up from the airport. Mm. She's picking me up and dropping me off at three in the morning this year, probably three or four times. Um, some of those times she showed up there and my flight got delayed she had to ride in circles for like an hour. Like there's been times that have just been ridiculous for her and times that I told her, you know, that I'm a little bit late and forgot to update her, all that stuff. So sorry about that, Amber. But, Mm. um, but yeah, so there, I mean, it looks like a really fun time and I swear it is the, I wouldn't change it for the world. I, I really appreciate all the time that I get to travel because I, I find it therapeutic at times to be honest, but it is, you know, not, 
for everyone. And I think that that's why not everyone does it. There's a lot of athletes out there who are willing and, and think that they are willing and able to go and travel and compete well and things like that. But, you know, I had three weekends in a row that I left on a Friday, jumped on a Saturday, came back home on a Sunday or something along those lines and jumped 570 plus at every single weekend of that in a row. And then followed that up with a 13 hour travel to Sweden on no sleep in 48 hours and then competing that next day and jumping 562. And that's just something that I'm very proud of that I was able to accomplish this year that I don't think I would have been able to accomplish if it wasn't for the mental changes that we've made, you know? And so, yeah, it's a really fun time traveling and stuff, but it is, you know, it's not for everyone. And it definitely is a sacrifice you have to make to try to achieve the goals you want to achieve. And I can't, I don't believe I would pole vault as high if I was only competing within driving distance. Actually, I know for a fact I wouldn't. And that's just because name one person who does. Yeah. You know, like yeah, driving distance, meaning that they live in the Midwest and they're jumping very, very high. You're it rolling happens, the but dice. In the summer. Yeah. You're rolling the dice. Like if it's like, yeah, I'm going to make a, you know, three hour drive to wherever in the Midwest, you know, it's difficult because, you know, especially during the track season, if you wait until june july and august you know you you could solid you're pretty solid yeah it's gonna be humid but but find uh, a meet around here in june july and august too yeah. and that's the thing there's <laughs> three yeah there's three of them <laughs> and they're one not, in each month and, and they're one of them's not at rise <laughs> yeah yeah and they're not meets that you know if you're with this new um world ranking with this new world ranking system which is why you got into the world championships um it it you can't this to any meat promoters that are listening to this you know these athletes are taking this very seriously now especially you know luke's situation he jumped in he traveled to meets that were able to give him more points and that was the reason that he was able to be on the world team yeah so the the ranking to put it in short is it's overpowering the Olympic standard or the world standard now, Olympic or world standard. So like it for this last year, the world standard was 580. So, you know, as a outside, an outsider looking in would think, oh, you jump 580, you place in the top three, or you're one of the top three with the standard, you know, those people go. But this year it was different. It's you have to rank with ranking points, um, in the top 32 in the world and place in the top three in the U S doesn't matter if you have the world rank or the world standard or not. And so I was five centimeters below the world standard this year, but I was ranked in like 28th or something in the world and placed second at the U S championships. So I was able to go ahead of multiple people who had the standard ahead of me, um, at the U S championships, but I competed and got second the day of, and that's what got me into the meet. So that's where, why a lot of people, unfortunately, you know, it'd, it'd be nice if it or, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for the system cause I got into the world championships with it. But I think for people who are running street meets, beach vaults, things like that, and probably getting denied by any and every, you know, elite athlete there is, it's because we just, it's not worth it at times for us to go and compete in a meet that is going to give us zero world ranking points and risk it not even counting 
mm-hmm. for us to go and like spend the time and the money to get out there and do it. Um, it'd be more beneficial to us to, you know, go to a meet that might not be as like fun and like a big, cool environment where you're on a street and all of that. But, you know, it kind of just depends on where, where your goals are at. And, and to be honest, my like sole goal in pole vaulting has always just been to be competitive, to try to make world and Olympic teams as consistently as I can and be competitive at the U S championship. Mm-hmm. That's like where I find my fun in pole vault is big meets competing. Well, that like brings me so much joy and like gets my adrenaline super, super high. And so, you know, that's what I I'm here to do. And so I'm not going to, you know, for lack of a better word, like waste time that I could be competing somewhere else to go do something. Yeah. That's and that's, that. that's what would be really nice is if we could find, you know, some way, because those street meets look like the one in Memphis that I saw on that Instagram, one, I think that one looked amazing. That one I think is a little better cause it's run through American track league. So that one was like an American track league meet that they had at the track nearby, mm. but then they just moved the pole vault to Beale street, which I think was like probably one of the coolest street vaults I've ever seen. Yeah. That was um, pretty cause gnarly. if anyone's been to Beale street, you know that it's like popping. And I think they closed like a lot of the bars down at that area or no, they closed the streets down. Mm. And so no cars could even drive. Like they closed the streets down and like all the street performers were the pole vaulters. So like everyone was just like, you know, beers in hand and stuff like, that's having awesome. a good time around there so cool. yeah but it'd be nice if we could get like it, whenever i was coming up like that was the thing is like there was like this like almost like circuit of street meets and and beach meets that you would go to as a post-collegiate because all the marks would count and then people started arguing uh i think predominantly overseas because they were like hold up this guy jumped 580 and you know so and so whatever beach vault uh and then he came over here and you know can't jump five meters what's going on what's going on (laughs) you know like so so they i think got i think that's the main reason that they're trying to to get that all situated is so you know it gets the people who are more consistent in big meets into those championships and 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 things like that but but yeah so when did you start uh to realize that things were turning um i think the big the big big change was or like big big realization was whenever i was at um gately which is a track in in chicago and this was so as i said earlier i said i was going to not compete indoors and then a week later i was competing in a track meet because jake was like no you're just scared to get beat basically. Mm-hmm. And that's actually like very, very true to what I was feeling. Um, and so then he was like, I think we do a normal indoor season. You're going to just jump low for a little bit and you're going to get beat by people who are better than, you know, who are just better than you, who don't, who you won't admit are better than you. Um, and we're just going to go through this training so that we can get prepared for like what it's going to feel like outdoors going through this. So I think after Reno, I had like one, two, I think, I think I had like four meets and then USA championships was the end of that. And I had not qualified yet. So I was like, okay, well, if we're jumping, like the goal, I guess would be to try to get a mark to qualify for indoor USAs, which the auto mark was 565. And that was like pretty lofty with the shape that I was in at that time. But I knew if I jumped like a mid 550 something, that I had a good chance on being one of the last people in. 
Um, and spoiler alert, I was the last person let in. Mm. Um, and this was because of that last, the literal last meet that I had to be able to jump a qualifying mark to go to the USA championships was at Gately track in Chicago at like some windy city invitational, uh, for like Wisconsin was putting it on. It's a lot of big 10 schools and it was actually a very competitive, um, meet, but I went there and we were on, you know, we were on four nineties at the time, cut four nineties. Um, but we, you know, I went and jumped third attempt five fifty six, And that was my first personal best in six years, um, indoors. So I had jumped five fifty two in 2016 and that was at a division three national championship. And I, for some reason, like just hadn't been able to, I think, well, just cause of all the stuff we had already talked about that I, you know, hadn't been able to put together any good marks indoors since then, or really any super high marks outdoors since then. Um, and I jumped five fifty six, and I hit the pit and like had a gigantic like celebration and scream after that. That's and cool. Amber was there in the stands that day. And so that was her first time seeing me jump well in a long time. And she like, I think she told me she like started tearing up because she knew like how much that jump like that jump, the emotions that I have, like I have a picture of me like yelling in the pit. And that was like the day that I realized like we could do it. Mm -hmm. Like we could do, I didn't know what it meant, but I just knew that we could do it. Like broke down a big barrier. Yeah. Like it was like, wow, we act like I actually can jump higher. Like I had, like I said earlier, like I had committed to almost being like, I'm just not going to try to personal best anymore. I'm just going to try to jump like 18 feet if I can. Like, well, and we, we had some specific technical things too that I was just like, yeah, true, dude, true. you're, you're not, you were jumping on five tens. That's a big one. You were jumping on <laughs> five jumping tens on at skinny, Reno. Skinny. So, so Reno was my first meet that I dropped back down to four nineties, but was? I wasn't even able to move the four nineties through. Yeah. And that's whenever it was like, okay, something bad is going on. Like I was in a really bad spot, but I started the season on five tens you know, had a decent meet at, at rise, jumped 18, actually jumped 550, but I was on skinny five tens. And basically what we came to the conclusion was, is we need to get on some really, really fat, stiff 490 poles, max those out, max out grip on those poles. Then once that happens, we'll go to five meters and do the same thing, max out the stiffness, max out the grip. We're still in the process of doing that on the five meters, but 490s, you know, I was on that, you know, jumped that 556 bar, first personal best in six years. Super, super pumped about that. So pumped that I don't think I even was able to make it down the runway again that day because I had like drained so much mental energy after that vault. Um, and then the best meet that I had indoors was yeah. at the U.S. Championships indoors. And a lot of people, if you were at the U.S. Championships, know that I know heighted. Um, and I've I've said this a lot, but... I remember texting you afterwards or no, you messaged me first and prior to indoor championships, Jake told me, he said, if you send me one video of you backing off of a pole to try to make a bar, I'm going to be the most disappointed I've been the entire indoor season because the entire indoor season, the goal was like max out pole, max out grip, like not just, not just like throw the grip up there and throw it up to a big pole. It was just like, have a perfect technical jump. Like, so we're trying to, we've been trying to kind of get rid of the tuck a little bit, like get my hips above my shoulders a little better, move my arms a little bit better, um, hit the takeoff taller, all of that type of stuff. 
Um, and it was basically like execute those things at 100% effort, like a hundred percent. Like if you're blowing through and you feel like you can back off and make it, don't try to make it, try to blow through and miss the bar. Like literally do anything you can to force yourself to get so dialed into that technical process that all we'll do is just keep putting a bigger pole in your hand. And eventually that pole will stop blowing through and you'll end up smoking over a high bar, which is what happened at that 556. I smoked over it by quite a bit, like made it by like a foot. And I was like, oh, geez, that was freaking awesome. Then I went to Indoor USA's, had an even, so that 556 week, I was on like a week three. And then week four is even like lighter and more explosive of my training cycle. So we were entering into the world or the US championships with the most explosive, fastest times, all of that stuff that I had been all year. Ended up blowing through every single pole in my bag, basically. Um, blew through three attempts, doing exactly what Jake had told me, like don't back off at all. Didn't back off at all, blew through three times, was pretty disappointed because I knew that I was in shape to jump something really high if I had the right poles in my bag. But the workout before that, we had Jake basically told me, he's like, we're just in a between a rock and a hard place because what's very likely going to happen is that you can probably blow through every pole in your bag, but we're not at a place yet where we can just move up to five meters at the USA championship that you haven't jumped on all year. Mm. Like that wouldn't be smart. So you have to offer a sacrifice. Yeah. And so (laughs) that was the sacrifice. And, you know, next thing, you know, after that meet, it was like, okay, well we did what we wanted to do. Now we moved to five meters and then, you know, I'm not going to take us through the entire season, but first meet outdoors, you know, I jumped 565, which is an all time PR, which was my first time in four and a half years, all time. Um, so that's outdoor or indoor and made 565, no touch, like made it by quite a bit. That was at Texas relays. And then I was able to back that up with a 560, like two weeks later. <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, a bunch of 550s, 560s, and 570s the rest then, of the year. Then it was, then you had a kind of a mediocre one at North Central. Yeah. So the, then I had a, a weird string of meets where it was, had crappy weather at Kansas, um, jumped like 540 something there. There was like legit 35 mile an hour um, crosswind gusts that day. That was the same w- uh, week as Drake relays. So if the people at Drake remember that, really, really crappy weather, but in Kansas, you know, you're jumping in the middle of a field. So it's like really, really windy down there. If you get any wind, um, then went to Arizona and like had perfect, had like really good conditions at, we were jumping at AZ PVA, but I just got too excited. Got ahead of myself was swinging right off the ground. Didn't jump very well that day. And then we went to North central and I jumped, you know, made a 555 pretty easily and had like a blow through finish at 571 that I missed, but was like, oh, okay, we're back. Like we had a couple weeks there that were a little bit iffy. But then after that, we were able to kind of put something together. And then we were like, okay, I think we're ready to do something pretty cool. And we just need to zone in really hard to that technical stuff. Like don't back off the pole, keep trying to get those hips to your top hand as far as you possibly can. And then that next week was like, 570 and I jumped five and I jumped that meet. I jumped, uh, 20, 35, 50, 60, 70, all on my first attempt. And that was like, that was like the major breakthrough where I think everyone was kind of like, Oh crap. 
Like yeah. Luke can actually pole vault pretty well now. Like he's not, it's, it, this isn't for like, this isn't just like a show. This isn't just like luck. Like he's putting stuff together and I was, you know, competing with Chris Nilsson again that day and, you know, he ended up beating me, but I jumped 570 and we were both jumping at 580 at that next bar and 580 was what won, which is exactly the same thing that happened at USA's, which is, or, but actually 570 won that day. But yeah, it was like, I was like, dang, man, like I'm jumping with Chris, the best in the US and got second at a meet against a bunch of, you know, really, really good jumpers. So that you know, started a string of some really good meets though, because I jumped 570 that day a week later. So that just shows like the whole travel situation. I traveled out to Arizona, jumped, flew back four days off, like four days at home and then traveled to Chula Vista, California, jumped 575, flew back the next day and then had like, I think three weeks of training before USA championships. And then I made, you know, 570 on a really wacky jump yeah. but made 570 you know got on a big pole and and timed it up okay enough to make 570 so that was three weeks in a row that i made 570 plus and you know then after that went to went to europe and had a good time in europe jumped 562 after you know like 10 hours after a 13 hour travel day i basically you know jumped 570 at usa's went on a plane the next day, traveled for like 13 hours. Um, it was probably more than 13 hours with like layovers and everything, but, um, 13 hours actually, I think on the plane, something like that. Um, and then went to sleep, woke up and competed that next day and jumped 562 and had close jumps at 572 in, uh, at the tabby gala, which is in like Stockholm, Sweden, basically. And, then it was tough. The next meet was tough. I had like three days off and then competed in Finland and I jumped 550 in Finland and I felt like absolutely garbage. Like the worst I had felt all year right. had like crappy wins that day too. And that was like my third meet in five days or something like that. And my body was just, you know, the jet lag had set in pretty bad at that point. My sleep schedule was all off, but managed a 550 and then came home had, you know, I think two or three weeks off of competing and went to the world championships. And I think I put up a pretty good showing at the world championship for it being, you know, my first breakthrough year of, you know, like I said, I hadn't PR'd in four and a half years. And then I ended up jumping 65 and almost made 75, which would have put me to the final at the world championship. And that's, you know, looking back at Reno where I said I had committed to not PRing and not going to world championships anymore. Like that was like my thought process at that time because I had lost the fun at that point. And the pressure of me putting myself in that position was what was, you know, causing me to not jump well. And then little did I know taking all of that and, and actually kind of keeping that mentality of not like actually, no, totally switching that mentality around of being like, no, you know, I am good enough to be able to go to worlds. I am good enough to be able to place in the top three at USA's. I am that dude. Like I can do that. And, but not just like thinking it, like actually putting the steps in place to do that. And that left me, um, last little stat I'll throw out that left me making five fifty plus 
which was a big bar for me, like in years past, like a very oh, big, yeah. like that was like Huge a celebration, bar. like big time. Um, so in years past, the most I had ever made 550 in a season was three times. And that's counting multiples in meets, all of that. And this year I made 550 plus 21 times. That's awesome, man. Um, and then I, and I've made 570 as many times as I've made 550 in years past. So I've made 570 in, meet, in three different meets. Um, and that was three weeks in a row too, which is pretty cool. None yeah. of them were in perfect conditions either, except for Chula Vista. That was perfect conditions. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. It's a nice day. Yeah, that's crazy. That's That was a wild ride. And there's like so many layers to all of it, like in the background too, with what we were doing at Rise with us moving into this new facility. And it was it was a lot, man. It was a lot. I've had probably five complete mental breakdowns in the meantime, like during that time. I mean, the other thing too, is that people, um, not complete mental breakdowns or else I wouldn't complete mental breakdown is it's tough. You're dead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I would think so. <laughs> so we're still kicking, but the thing is, is like, took a lot of work, a lot of work. I remember, uh, one of my uh, questions that I had for you was what was your greatest memory from the season? I'm going to answer mine first um, because it's two, it's two things and they're completely polar opposites. Um, the first memory, greatest memory was, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I was uh, a teacher. I have resigned. So you no longer have to have <laughs> this terrible teacher. <laughs> uh, in there anymore. Um, totally admit that this is a terrible thing to do, but I would have, I would be, you know, watching, I was a PE teacher, elementary PE teacher. I'd be watching Luke like out of the corner of my eye on my iPad, like as I'm instructing over zoom, over zoom, as I'm instructing kids. And I would just be, I was like, dude, what am I doing with my life right now? There were a crazy what amount of times doing? that he would be like, "Hey, we gotta gotta go, gotta go, gotta and go." Then just Shut like the... slam the slam the thing down because somebody was a teacher was walking in or something like that. <laughs> it's like, and it's terrible. It's terrible. I knew I knew in that moment that I had to get out of there because those kids didn't deserve that and all this, that, and the other. There was a moral uh, situation, and and I had just run out of time too. I wanted to give Luke everything that you know he deserved and couldn't do that with teaching, but that was a huge memory because I was like, man, what at that moment you couldn't, you weren't anything special. Like it no. was like, dude, like you came to me, you couldn't do a running plant drill, which is a very basic, basic drill. And there's reasoning behind we call that. a running plant drill, just like a plant of the pole. Some people call it Hoovian, just like where you run Who down. Who calls it a Hoovian? I think that's like the... German way of saying it or something. I don't know. <laughs> what is a Huvian? I don't know. I, I hear uh, the guys in Arizona call it Huvians. I know some other people call it that, but we call it a running plant drill. It makes it a little bit easier to understand what it is. <laughs> it's very simple. It's running plant. But yeah, drill. there was, I, I, I remember that day whenever you were like, we just kind of had to like pack up the workout because you were like, okay, I got to go. Like another class is coming in. Like I don't have a lot of time. And you were just like, you got some things we got to work through. Like, you can't do a running plant drill. Like you, you can't do a Hoovian. You can't do you can't do the Hoovian <laughs> from 
from full approach or what my seven left at the time. And he was like, he, like you could do that when you were like 14. Right. And you can't do it now because you're sca- like legitimately scared to do it. Yeah. And so I knew there were some issues there, yeah, but, but that, that, uh, that moment where I was just like running the business and teaching and coaching Luke via zoom all simultaneously, you know, phone exploding, email exploding. I was just like, this is, I hope this goes somewhere. You know, like, I hope I know what I'm doing. Like, because if this doesn't go anywhere, I might go crazy. Um, and then the second one was when you snaked over 70 and I flipped my iPad and my iPad slams on the ground. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I was like, holy cow. And then I went and talked to Jeff Hartwig and was like, hey, is there any chance of him getting into the world team unless he makes 80? And Jeff was like, I think he's in. No, yeah, he's in. And I was like, what do you mean he's in? He doesn't made 80. And then he kind of roughly explained what was going on. And he was gracious enough to check the rankings and everything. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then there's a third memory. The third memory was whenever we were going through team processing and the lady, <laughs> and the lady was like, yes, yeah, so you're, what would, what did she say? Like 40 oh, or yeah. something you're like, like 40 something, like it showed up like wrong or something. And we were like, wait, we thought we just made it. And now we don't know. It was. And then we were in the crazy. car driving to dinner and we were like, it was dead silent. And I was just like, I'll never forget this moment where I don't know if Luke made the world team or if he didn't. I don't know if I should be extremely disappointed yeah. <laughs> or extremely excited. Yeah. But I remember saying in that moment, I remember being like, you know what though? Like if I don't make, if like it doesn't work out and I didn't make the world team, like I legitimately at that point had accepted regard like accepted the result regardless like i was like that was like unbelievable what i yeah what like we were able to accomplish but then i think but i, I want to make the world yeah team. <laughs> i literally like literally right at that moment though i called jeff hartwig and double and like asked him again and then i called karen Lockie, which she's an agent who just like knows a whole lot and i w- and she was like you're on the team yeah in some different like, words, but yeah, yeah she, <laughs> she, uh, and I was like, and then you hung up the phone and I was like, the two dude, like pole vault, the gurus. two gurus <laughs> told you that you're in like, come on. They know what they're talking about. We don't know what we're talking about. Like, yeah, come on. And so then at that moment, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to trust that it's going to happen. That was really, really cool. Yeah. Really cool. My, uh, my, you want me to tell it? Well, and then that night, I don't know. I, that night I drove to my hotel and it looked like it was not a good hotel. Oh, that was when you were at Worlds. That was at Worlds. Yeah. Cause that night we went to Voodoo Donuts (laughs) and we just like ate some donuts and had a good time. Yeah. Um, but my, I have like two or three as well. The first one like was that 556 jump mm. indoors. Like even though like now looking back, like that's just kind of, 
what's crazy is like thinking about that being kind of just like a normal bar now. Um, but that at that moment, I remember like, like the scream and the yell that I did was like piercing through like the whole place. <laughs> like it was so unbelievably couldn't crazy. Keep it in. Yeah. And like there, I hardly ever get emotional when it comes to pole vaulting unless it's like, like this may sound weird, but like, I don't think I've ever cried like sad tears about pole vaulting in my whole life. Mm. Like lost the D3 championship one time. And I just remember sitting there and being like, dang, that stinks. Must be nice. (laughs) (laughs) I remember crying a lot. (laughs) Like, like, and I don't mean that like to say that you can't cry in pole vault. I just, that's just something that I've always, that's something I've stood by is that I'm not going to, it's almost like I'm not going to let this sport get me that way. Like I've always had that belief, even since I was a little kid, like I'm not going to let this get me that to that point. It's not going to take my whole life. Yeah. And, and that being said, I I mean, in performance wise, like have a bad performance and tear up or cry or something like that, which I totally respect. You know, if people do, that's their way of, of coping with it. My way is just different. I've had times where dad and I, you know, have got, got into it or, or you and I may, I don't think you and I have been in it long. Well, you and I have gotten into it before, but like, (laughs) but like there's been times where, you know, there's been disappointment that has happened and you reflect upon it. Like I'll reflect upon it like days later and maybe like shed a tear or something like that. But a lot of my times that I've gotten teary eyed or like cried have been because of times that I've like had an unbelievable like a legitimately unbelievable breakthrough, like something that I like did that I really truly didn't believe was going to happen until it happened at that moment. Like I believed it directly before it happened. But that day I, after the meet, I went over to, like I said, my wife was there. Amber was there. And when we got into the car, I just like hugged her and just like started crying (laughs) and like I legitimately just sat there for like two minutes like just us hugging and and I was crying and she would and I think she's probably started tearing up too but at that moment I just was like I really I actually remember the first things I said to her like after I stopped crying was like I did it Mm -hmm. like like we did it like we it actually worked and it wasn't even like that much had worked at that point yet but it, I just like think that I started to understand that there was like, it could actually work. There was another way. And like, I can actually do, like, I can actually do the stuff that I gave up on, mm-hmm. you know? And so that was a big one was, it's like, dang, man, like that was crazy. And then we went to Portillo's and that was like the best Portillo's I'd ever had in my <laughs> life. Um, but the other two was my first 570. That 570 was so fun oh it was a beautiful jump <laughs> it was too. like my favorite jump i had had all yeah. year like even more than my 575 jump which is pretty was a pretty beautiful looking jump in my opinion but that 570 i was on a smaller pole than i cleared 575 so like i had to be extremely technically efficient like i basically had to swing right up to like what we call the eye position which is where you're like straight up and down basically swinging straight to an extension straight to an extension and i was just like i basically swung and turned 
And that was like all I did. Cause that's, and I just tried to like, I had been on that pole for like the two bars prior to, and I was like, if I like do exactly what Jake and I have been training the whole year and like really get my hands to my hips, I can make this. And then I made it. And it was like my celebration on the way down. I was like, Oh, I was like in a little bit of disbelief, like, Whoa, I actually like made it on this pole. Like I didn't think that the celebration was more about that. Like I made it on this pole that I thought it was going to be dicey for me to make 570 on this, but I ended up making it and we didn't have perfect wins that day. We had like a little bit of a crosswind that day. And I started off the day kind of just being like, dang, that, I wish we had some little bit better conditions because I think I could jump 570 plus. Right. And then I ended up jumping 570, just like really dedicating myself to that process. Um, and that was after three weeks of having some, not rough meets, but like kind of rough meets that didn't go as as planned as far as weather goes and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, so that one obviously ran off the pit, crazy celebration, FaceTimed you after, and you had some you know, some words to say that I probably shouldn't say on air, but they were good, you know, good context. Um, but then the, the other one was like, obviously making, you know, just in general, making the world team jumping five seventy, and like going over to Chris and, and being like, Hey, how many more, like he grabbed me and hugged me. And I was like, Hey, how many more people, uh, made it though? He was like, just you and me, bud. And I was like, (laughs) I literally in that moment was like in disbelief. I was like, what? And then the whole time walking around the stadium, I was just like, this is freaking crazy. Like I just kept saying that. Um, but then I flew, like I said, I flew out to Europe the next day, um, at like 7 PM the next day I flew out and that was my first trip going to Europe. So like three of like the biggest dreams I'd ever had. And I do have dreams beyond what I've done. Like I said, like my goals are to be competitive consistently in this. It's not to do it one time and be done. I want to be competitive at us worlds in Europe consistently. Like that's always been my goal. Um, but I was competitive at USA's. Um, and then I'm going to the world championships and then I'm flying out currently like sitting on the plane on Iceland air flying out to Sweden to jump in like a super sick street meet. And at that point, like there was a point in that flight where I was just like sitting there and all of it had like come to me. And then like on the plane by myself while all the lights are off and everyone's sleeping and I couldn't sleep. I didn't, I slept for like 30 minutes on like a seven or eight hour flight to Iceland. Um, I just like started like tearing up and like crying a little bit. And I was just like, again with like the happy tears i was just like this is so crazy like all of that stuff actually happened like i couldn't i literally couldn't wrap my mind around the fact that it actually came true and that like it happened not by just like wishing it to happen though you know and like i don't know in that moment i just remember being like this is like sitting on that window seat on Iceland air, looking out the window and seeing just black ocean Mm -hmm. and being like, I'm on my way to like go compete in Europe and I'm going to the world championships and like all of that. Like there was just so much that came to me in that moment and just being like, man, I did this, but like, I also just don't think that like, I can't do it again. Yeah. Like, I don't think that it's just like, 
not saying it's going to come easy. It's definitely not. The U.S. pole vaulting is like the, is the, definitely the hardest team to make in the world. But I just really, truly believe and believed in that time that like you and I only started working together in January. <laughs> you know, know, like you and it, like it was like six months of like doing the right stuff and six months of dedicated and like calculated work that we had done. And my thought, like, as I was doing that, I was like, man, like, this is the first time of hopefully many times that I can like go and travel to Europe and be competitive and jump well, mm-hmm. be at the U S championships, be competitive, jump well, go to the world championships, be competitive and jump well, go to any sort of like U S team mm-hmm. and be competitive, you know, there. And those were the, those were the three memories though. And two of them had to do with happy tears, but those are the, the tears that I seem to cry more than anything is whenever, like I said, like something happens that like, truly just has me understanding and realizing how blessed I am to be in the position that I'm in, you know, with rise pole vault, being my training headquarters, being my full-time job that I have. And like just being in a position that is a lot more blessed than a lot of people have the opportunity to have, but it wasn't, you know, it's not something that was just handed to me. And that's, it's something that I've worked for and that you've worked for and that, you know, our dad and Josh and like our dad though, like a lot has yeah. like put in work to make any of this possible. And I always say and our he, mom too. he, he gave us his forties and fifties. Yeah. He just was like, these are not for me. I'm going to give them to you guys. Yeah, he did. And at that I don't know if I'm willing to do that. Like that is crazy, man. Like yeah, he, looking back on he it, gave it us, insane. he gave us his, all his energy, all his physical health, all his mental health. He gave, he gave us all his time and it's just, uh, as really wild. But like, whenever you're saying that it makes, what makes me excited is, is that like we were, I wanted to have the data of someone like you. Cause whenever I was young, whenever I was jumping, I would be like, okay, well, what do I have to do to be able to jump 580 or jump 570 or whatever? And it's so cool and so nice now because it's like, well, we know for sure that Luke can jump, you know, let's say if you can jump 75, you could jump 80, you know, like, yeah. and if you could jump 80, you could jump 85, you know, like, so we, we have all of that stuff. And, and the cool thing is, is that you believed in it enough to let it happen. You know, you believed in it enough to let it happen. And so now it's like looking back on it, it's, and we go back to all the way where at the beginning of this podcast, we were talking about like, it's a lot more simple than you thought it was. You know, it's like, I thought I was going to have to do so much more, you know, in order to be able to do something like this, but it actually, you know, when you boil it all down and distill it all, it, it, it's like, wow, you know, I, I thought it was going to have to be something really crazy to be able to do this, but it's like, no, it's, it's long periods of time of doing dedicated, you know, work that we you know, wrote out. It's pretty cool. And I want to add one more quick memory is 
another like big crazy like realization that I think I was having whenever I would like think about the world championships is that of all years to qualify for your first one for it to be in Eugene, Oregon. Yeah, that's cool. Like one, just it being the first one in the U S but the fact that like a bunch of like you're able to go first of all, which is great, but like mom and dad and Josh and my wife and then like three days before I left, I was sending live stream links to my friends. And then my friend just like sent me a screenshot of his tickets. Yeah. And it was, that was like, I was like, are you kidding me? But my friends, Adam, Ben and Taya all basically surprised me at in Eugene. really cool. Yeah. And like, it was just insane because it was like all of the people who like, actually had a super big not all of them because there's a lot more a lot of people from north central al grammy all of that um but the people who you know our whole family for example like we've all the 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 goal was to go do that Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and like being able to go and see you mom dad and josh there and amber and and my friends and stuff but it was just it was cool because I felt like we all did it, you mm-hmm. know, like we all finally kind of accomplished something that we had really wanted to do. And at least, you know, if if I qualify for future ones in the future, I hope that, you know, everyone can still go to it. But I, I know that that's not always the case. And so the fact that the first one and like a super big one, and like one that was like in the U S first time ever in Eugene, Oregon, beautiful stadium too. Mm-hmm. like my family and my wife and my friends are able to be there. That was like the coolest thing ever. And it's just like hard for me to wrap my head around that part that like this could have very well been in China <laughs> or like, like where it is right. that, or it could have been in like Germany or mm-hmm. it could have been, you know, next year's is in Hungary indoors is in china this next year like that there is you know no matter how much you know mom dad and josh or you or you know my friends or anybody says that they if they could have made that one like thank you but i think that would be a lot tougher to make you know what i mean yeah the fact that they were able to make it and and put the effort in to come out and see me jump and like me actually have a decent day too was yeah. like super cool. Yeah, that was really cool. Shout out to uh, Joy Bradford, Zach Bradford's yeah, mom yeah. for uh, hooking hooking us up with a ticket too. Just thought I'd say that. Um, okay, this is we're getting we're getting up there in time, uh, <laughs> but and we are on like the third question, um, so we're gonna have to skip some gonna of these. Have to go rapid fire on some, but of them. Uh, <laughs> um. This one is try to answer them quicker. No, no, no. Don't worry about it. We it's it is what it is. Um, what if you were to choose one aspect, um, of you and I working together that moved the needle the most? What do you think it would be? Like one thing that changed regimen. I writing my own training. No matter how. If, if there's people out there that can do that and write their own, I'm, I know there are people who write their own training and do their stuff and, 
try to follow it to their best ability. But there's just so it's so much easier for me to like what you're talking about earlier is just be able to like, look at something, do it and leave. Mm -hmm. And the regimen that involves a lot, like that involves that social media stuff too. Like the regimen of, Hey, you know, cool. You jumped really well post and ghost. And that was like always the phrase. It was like, okay, jumped well in a meet on Friday, sick post your video if you want to. Um, but then you're not, you know, you can't be on social media. After yeah. That. And that's what I would say is I would just be like, Hey man, like, yeah, you, I want, I mean, selfishly, you know, you'd vault for rise. So I was like, selfishly, I'd be yeah. like, yep, post it up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? but, and and, then, but then you got to get off. You got to get off there. You can't be sitting there and being like, okay, let's see how many people like this. And let's see how many views it gets or whatever. Like if you, if you do that too much, there's, it, it can be a very dark it can suck the life out of you without you realizing it and then all of a sudden you're like why do i feel like garbage now or why why am i in this you know rut and it's like oh because instagram slowly stole my soul yeah and so like along with the yeah that's just just that was that got the best of me in the last few years probably mm -hmm. um but then yeah like going into training having a regimen of like, you're following this, you're doing no more, no less, just do that and leave. And mm -hmm. like being, and then the same thing with the aura ring, plug in the results every morning, you know, like make sure you wear your aura ring every night, you know, all of that stuff. Um, and just, I think that scheduling just helped me a whole lot and it helped me to just be able to take pressure off of like, all right, well, if I don't think I'm doing enough, then like you said, it's kind of like, well, then that's on Jake. You know, yeah. like, like as, as weird as that is, it's just like, well, if I don't think I'm doing enough, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do any more or any less. And if it doesn't work out, then Jake told me it's on him. So, yeah. And that's the coach's responsibility. That's the thing is it's like, okay, you know, this isn't working out coach. What's going on? Yeah. What's going on? And they better have a good answer for you, you know, because I've been an athlete and it's like, you know, if you're in a hard spot, I want some answers you know and sometimes those answers are hard to hear sometimes those answers are be patient which is a hard one to hear that is but but you know that's that's the thing and uh quickly the regimen in workouts too like pole vaulting how i was saying six jumps you know from your seven left that was like all i would get if my last jump sucked i didn't get a seventh mm -hmm. like it was like sorry dude yeah you had six to get it going and if know? we're being completely honest i would let you fudge on that sometimes Every so once there's, in a while. there Every is once in a while. there are ways that i need to improve too because there is a pressure that an athlete puts on a coach sometimes where it, it's very difficult as a coach because it's like okay they you know want more jumps or or i really want one big thing for us we this just year want one was, more jump yeah right uh, one big thing this year was you had this like streak of making 550 in workouts that was just like, I felt it building up and I was just like, man, one of these practices, he's not going to have, he's not going to make 550. And, you know, I hope this whole thing doesn't blow up just because of that, you know? So there are, and there are some things that I have to do too, where I have to be more diligent and more rigid. Like, Hey man, like, I know you really want one more, but we, we need to shut it down, you know, like, because remember how we got here. Just remember that. Remember 
how we got to this point from you listening. Let's not fudge on that too much or else we could backtrack a little bit. Um, what do you think this is going to be a good one? What do you think I could do better this season, this coming up season in your training? To be honest, I would like, is there anything that, that frustrated you? Like, were there, did you get bored? Like, because this is like an honest, open conversation. This is us having this conversation for the first time. Yeah. You know, it needs to happen. Uh, did you get bored of some things that pop into my head? Like, did you get bored of repetitive exercises? Um, you know, things like that. I, I actually kind of enjoy the repetitive exercises, repetitive exercises (laughs) getting choked up. Sorry. Mm, Um, uh, because of the, just being able to kind of measure like, Oh, okay. I'd probably set up to do something good this weekend. You know, if I'm like hitting good numbers, all that, but I would say the thing that you just got done talking about, which is the only thing, which is like understanding that I function way better when I lose my, lose all control. Mm. Like where it's like, Hey, could I have one more? No, please. No. Yeah. (laughs) Like that type of thing where it's like I there and you know, you and I both know like this, we're very open. It's not like it's my way or the highway type situation with you. It's like, if you know, I can get one more good one and like, it's for a good reason. Yes. But if it's just, to make the bungee, to make myself feel good. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, dude, you executed what I wanted you to. You missed the bungee. Who cares? Like right. go home where I'm sometimes like, yeah, but if I go up a pole, do the same thing, I'll make it. And you're like, yeah, but who cares if you make it? Like, does that really matter? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, there's a balance to all of that too, because there have been a lot of times this year where I've let you like, where you're just like, Hey, you know, there is a really delicate balance between a coach and an athlete, especially a coach or an athlete that has been competing for 15 years. Like I, I would say that that is one, we talked about differences between elite athletes and, you know, maybe high school or college athletes. And I think the biggest difference is that you do have to treat them differently because they do know what they're talking about. And that actually makes it even harder. It's much easier to tell a high school kid that has no idea what they're talking about. Like, dude, I know exactly what you need. Like, and I can be very confident in that answer, you know, or whatever I'm prescribing them to do. But whenever you're working with an elite athlete, there's a very good likelihood that they know what they need to do too. And so then you kind of, and there have been a few times where I've been like, all right, I'm going to let you do this. And then it worked. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's finding that balance of, but, but no one is going to be a BS jump versus like, if I feel it deep in my gut though, I have to shoot it straight. Even if that risks you getting mad at me, even if that risks, you know, you going home the rest of the night and feeling disappointed, like I have to, I have to do right by you. You're you know, the guardian of my head. I basically. have to do it. Yeah, yeah. I have to do that. Okay. So that's the that's the one thing that I'm gonna, you know, try to get better on. That's a hard thing to get better on. Um okay. Now back to your aura ring. These are kind of more fun questions, but uh back to your aura ring. So you I track all of those numbers and I look at all of those numbers, and you have 
talking about the deep sleep <laughs> like a superpower man yeah they'll be like a, a I normal would be curious what other people's are though. okay so like REM sleep normally you're getting you're between like an hour and two hours no no probably 30 minutes to maybe max an hour and a half oh i was talking about mine. rem yeah so no no rem rem sleep so like rem sleep you oh, know you yeah, would be yeah. like like let's say like 30 minutes to an hour like an hour is kind of like the holy land like it's like if you're getting an hour of rem sleep you're doing it you know you're doing a really really good job and then deep sleep you're looking you know maybe we can get an hour to an hour and a half and if you're getting an hour and a half Ooh, man, you're crushing it. You know, your body is recovering very, very well. Sometimes you get two and a half hours of deep sleep. Yeah, I've hit I've hit three quite a few times this year. Three and hours. your REM is, you know, My consistently like over an hour. Over an hour. Yeah, always. So that is like really a superpower. So I doubt that you're going to have any sort of really good answer to this, but is there, is there any hack or any sort of thing I, that you honest, do to be honest, there probably is. Um, I don't consume a whole lot of caffeine or alcohol. That's yeah. like two huge things. Like I think when that, you say a whole lot, what does that mean? Of you can be honest. Alcohol, about both. like like during the season, like hardly ever. Like literally, like I'll maybe have like a drink once every random special occasion maybe but most of the time i don't even drink during that so like maybe like once every i'll just say like once every two months and whenever you say drink <laughs> so like literally like that, whenever you say drink, it'll be like like literally like one drink like i'll have like angry orchard or something <laughs> <laughs> like literally like it's it's like nothing like so I'm not that's going almost, out and getting hammered. That's almost like negligible. Like during like, the season, I just, and it's not like a, it's just something I, I always have like thought about it as like, man, I'd way, I'd way rather just like get a good night's sleep than have a drink right now. Well, like that's, do. that's, I know. And like that's, and there's sometimes where it were, you know, like whenever I was in Arizona and like we jumped on, you know, and I'm with the AZPVA guys, we jumped on like a Friday maybe or a Saturday, like we had a drink or something on Sunday and it's like, but I'm not going out and getting trashed or anything, but that's like one of those special occasion times. Cause then I probably didn't have a drink again until after there worlds. was like, Oh yeah. Like the, the literally the day after worlds whenever, or the night the of night worlds, of, yeah. which was like feeling. two months later. Right. And that was after I qualified for the world championship team. I had like one cider or something, but then caffeine, I do drink regularly, but I don't drink a lot of it. I have amino energy mainly like 99% of the time. That's what my, my energy is from. I don't drink coffee at all. 0% coffee intake. Mm. Um, coffee started giving that? me, it just gave me two. I would like get, my heart rate would go up really high when I had coffee. I was thinking about that. I think it's cause it doesn't have the L theanine in it or something. Like, I don't know what it is. I don't think that's, I was just thinking about this this morning because you know, my struggles with stimulants. Yeah. Jake's which stimulants are got a caffe caffeine. caffeine situation. So, going on. Mm, He's functioning with usually like almost 600 milligrams. Easily a day. A day, yeah, spread out. Like usually one serving in the morning. And, and so like my milligrams is like maxed out. If I'm going like the most is like 150 milligrams. And that's only if I didn't 
use amino energy. I, when I use amino energy, which is like 90% of the time, I do two scoops of it, which adds up to a hundred milligrams. And I have that just before my workout that's at, so I'll have it at like nine 30 and my workout hundred milligrams, a hundred milligrams. And the most I'll have is like 150. And that's if I like didn't have amino energy and I got like a monster, which is like 140 or 150. Right. And that's like on a really rare occasion, but I never drink more than one caffeinated beverage a day either. Like I'll, I'll, if I had like amino energy and then I got super tired, I would just like suck it up, drink water. Like I would just like something. do a couple jumping jacks and like <laughs> <laughs> get my body going. That's true though. Okay. So this is so my, yeah, this is my that. thought. You and I, 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 I go to bed at the same time, mainly every night, which is like right around 10 o'clock. I go to bed and Amber goes to bed super early too. So I don't have like, we don't, I don't like, I don't watch TV. I try to not be on my phone before bed too, as much as I can. So I think all of that stuff, I, I really value my sleep a lot and I, it's not like I'm like, you know, doing a whole bunch of stuff, but I'll uh, like, we'll, we'll darken our room too. Like we have like a blanket over our window to make right. it like extra dark to try to get the sleep going. What better. do you, uh, keep the temperature at? The temperature of our room is like an ice box. We have there a, you go. We have, so I think that that there's a strong correlation between temperature and deep sleep. We, we, um, live just, we live in the first neighborhood outside of the city, Oak Park, Illinois, but we live in like city housing basically. So like those apartments that are you know, look like houses almost like we just live in an apartment. That's like a city apartment. But so we have like in unit air conditionings, like window unit ones. And we have an extremely small bedroom, maybe like 15 feet by 15 feet. So like pretty small. And we have an entire unit for just our bedroom <laughs> so that we, and we just crank it up and then close the door and it's like freezing cold in there. Yeah, I think that probably has a lot to do with it. Back to the coffee thing. So this is my thoughts on that uh, really quick is, so I have dealt with a lot of, you know, stimulant uh, overdose. (laughs) Every time you say that. Overdose stuff. Sounds like you're doing something. Well, I mean, caffeine's a stimulant, you know, like, so it's, it, and, and so yesterday I had a really hard time. I got like super stressed out and just like was wigging out. And if you've ever taken too much caffeine, that's basically what happens. And so I started thinking to myself, I was like, what have I changed over the last, you know, week or so, or like, what did I do differently yesterday? And I made a French press of coffee. Okay. So if you take two scoops of amino energy, you are, you're pretty, I don't feel like I just took caffeine. That's the thing that's weird is like, it just makes me feel like alert, but not like, uh, like, like right. super like giddy or anything like but that. But what I'm saying is, is that you can be very dialed in with how much caffeine you're doing. So exactly. if you're doing two yeah. scoops of 50 milligrams, then you're re- you're pretty sure that it's going to be 50 milligrams per scoop, yep. you know? But if you do a French press of coffee. Could be doing three, 315. How, how, how do you know, how do you know how many milligrams of caffeine's in that? You don't. You know, and that's why, you know, like, I guess those energy drinks, like it's pretty dialed in too. They have to be pretty close to that amount of caffeine. So anyway, so I think, I think that's where I go wrong with the coffee situation. Okay. So deep sleep that you get is probably associated with caffeine and alcohol intake or the lack thereof Yep, and extremely cold bedroom, which cold is room. really di- tied into uh, deep sleep. Um, yeah, that's cool. 
Um, let me. There was one other one. I don't wake up super super early either. Like I wake up at like seven every day. Yeah. So I give myself a little bit of time to. The other one that I was gonna ask about uh, is your um, supplement situation, which kind of ties into that. So yeah, I don't take a whole bunch of supplements. I take um, creatine, which you know, it's five grams, five gram milligram, or yeah, five grams of creatine, um, two scoops of that amino energy, um. Jocko Fuel recently um, started helping me out a little bit, so I'm, I'm an ambassador for them. Use code Winder10 on the on the online store for 10% off. Um, but they actually have a really good, like, a, my favorite thing by them is their greens supplement. It's just like a scoop of super f- greens or whatever, superfoods basically, yeah. and it's all and you just throw it in a blender bottle, shake it up, and you're good to go. Um, but it you know, you're supposed to get more greens than that, I think, but it does kind of like set you off on the right foot, you know, whenever you wake up in the morning and it's like, okay, I have going to, before I leave for my workout, you know, I have whatever I have in the morning, get my amino energy and all of that. But then I also have that. So then it makes me feel like I'm, you know, starting my day off pretty well. And that Jocko fuel is only 95 milligrams caffeine too. So, uh, so that one, that's the energy drink so i'm talking about like they have like a green right yeah. but, but they then, also have the then they also fuel. have like a jocko fuel energy drink that's only 95 milligrams and it's supposed to be like a good for you energy like a better for you energy drink so it's like not super high in caffeine not gonna drive it's you crazy not artificial it's sweetened by with like monk fruit and you know there's a lot of it has l-theanine in it which l-theanine if you guys don't know it like helps balance out the jitters of caffeine so yeah. But then other than that, just like whey protein. And then how do you keep yourself from getting addicted to things like caffeine and not continuously upping your dose and, you know, things like that and getting addicted? Cause sometimes I've dealt with in the past where it's like, man, you know, like, yeah, I want to use this, you know, pre-workout supplement and then I'll take it. And then I'll just be like, yeah, then you're I'm going to do it. a scoop and a half today because, you know, I'm trying to go extra hard. And then like a month later, it's like, dude, I'm doing a lot of scoops of this. Well, remember all those, what I was saying earlier, you know, you and Josh go before me. Yeah. <laughs> you okay. Guys, all right. So where the sacrifice. Josh and Jake used to pop some random, super high purple crystals, like these random, like high uh, caffeine, just crazy monstrosity. Like they would... he. Jake is very, All very bought at GNC. So yeah, don't think that yeah. it's like some sort of thing that we're buying off the corner. Or something. No, but they're Jake's just always has the, has the uh, personality of just trying things out. Like yeah. always, like that's just like his personality. It's just like, I want to try different things and just see what effect it has. Meaning like legal substances. I just mean like anytime there's like a new substance or, <laughs> I meant new supplement, a new supplement or like diet fad or like anything like that. Like Jake was on keto for a long time. Then Jake tried out carnivore. You know, he's never dabbed. Josh is on, Josh is like a, he was like was vegan vegan or something for a little bit. I don't think he is now, but anyways, so yeah, you and you, uh, you and Josh go before me and 
I was, you see how weirded out we get, and then you're like, yeah, I don't want to look I also, like that. I also <laughs> waited a really, really long time before I even dabbled in any caffeine because I used to like really firmly believe the like caffeine stunts your growth thing. And oh, whenever I was in high geez. school, I'm not kidding. <laughs> so much so that I like never wanted to drink it because I was like, oh, I don't want to get any shorter. I don't want to get any smaller. <laughs> like I used to think it would like make me shorter and stuff. And I just believed it for a really long time. And, and I mean, besides that, I also was like, well, I don't really know if I need it right now. And then whenever I started working full time and at first, you know, I'm more, I was working at as, as a GA at North central and was working at rise and was, you know, personal coaching on the side and pole vaulting. And I was doing, and was in school. I was doing a lot of stuff. And I think I just was like in the winter, I was like, it's kind of cold out. I'm going to have like a coffee in the morning. Actually, no, I was like, I'm going to have a hot chocolate mm. every morning. And then I realized that probably wasn't a good move. So then I, uh, I, like I was like, I'm going to have a coffee. Then coffee was like not doing it for me. It was getting me too jittery. So then I was just like, I'm going to find something that works for me. And, and I, I dabbled with it, you know, a little bit throughout high school and throughout college, but it's, I usually, it's only, you know, it's normal for me now to have that hundred milligrams before workouts, just like normal, but it was always just like a use as needed thing. And I never got to the point where I was like, I feel like I need this right now or else I'm not going to be good. Um, you know, if you were to take it away now, it would probably be a little bit harder for me to be like, man, it'd be nice to have a little bit of, you know, something going on. But, but you're at a dosage that is just like, it's just too low. You, it's, it's low too enough low. to where it doesn't yeah. affect You could me a not do it tomorrow and be like, yeah, this, I don't really notice anything. Yeah. Me, like there's like a, a weaning off process that yeah. I am probably going to have to go through. And it's just that I deal with, a, I do a lot of things every day. Like I'm, I have my, irons in a lot of fires or a lot of irons in the fire. And I, you know, slowly over time, as you become an adult and you have kids and, and stuff like that, it's just like, I just need something to help me through the day. And then all of a sudden you're doing 600 milligrams of caffeine a day. And it's like, gosh, dang it. Now I got to try to get off this. But anyway, um, all right. So top three, uh, exercises that you would have to use for the rest of your life. If you had to choose them, I have, I have, uh, thought about this for some time and I have three really quick answers cause I've already decided, but I can go into depth with them. But the three are flying tens, um, 40 meter total. So fly in for 30 meters or yeah, fly in for 30 meters and then like time the last 10 meters of it and like collect that data and stuff. Um, weighted muscle ups. Mm. That's just for upper body power. Um, you could do them without weight, but I'm at the point now where I need a little, little extra weight on there. Um, and just gradually overloading that over time and not doing like a million reps of it, but enough to get the, keep the power at a hundred. And then whenever you feel like you can't do it appropriately, you know, hop off the bar, uh, and then power cleans. Um, that's, I mean, that's everybody's favorite It's the best, and it's just, that's the, uh, yeah, those are the three, the power cleans are like I was saying earlier, it's a good way to feel like I've been able to do those. And when I get better at them and, and hit higher weights and the bit, like the big thing is the commitment factor to it. Like it's really, really hard to commit to like catching 270 pounds on your stinking like collarbones. <laughs> And 
sure. landing in a front squat and squatting it up. You know what I mean? Right. But um, as you always say, you're like, well, you can squat like over a hundred pounds more than that probably. So what's the big deal? Like all you got to basically do is get it up there yeah, and then you're good. And so like that commitment factor um, is really good. But then also being able to measure that with my performance in pole vaulting, I've regardless if it correlates a hundred percent, like mentally to me, it does because I'll be like confident enough to be like, I just hit 270 on the power clean. Mm. I'm, I'm ready for a PR now, right. like, like in the vault, you know, yeah. like that means I'm going to run faster on the runway. That means I'm going to have more jump at takeoff. That means my arm, you know, like all of that stuff, I'm going to have more power. And I just like directly relate that to pole vaulting. So anytime that I'm hitting a PR, which is pro could probably not be the greatest thing. Cause you don't want to always feel like you have to hit a PR to jump higher. You don't, but, um, hitting PRs on that has greatly helped me to feel like I can jump PRs and vaulting too. That's hilarious because one of those repetitive exercises that I was like, I bet he just doesn't like doing muscle ups. I bet those just get boring. Yeah. They, well, they, that's the thing is like, it's kind of like pull-ups. No one likes doing pull-ups. No. Like, like you hop on the bar and would like to not ever do anymore is probably pull up. Like pull-ups. The thing is, is it's like, unless you're like weird, kind of like us where it, you kind of embrace the suck. That's like the dad's phrase that he used to use all the time with, yeah. with me when I was in college is like embrace the suck. And I've always come to enjoy that now. Like anytime something's just like terrible and not fun, I'm like, this is what I'm here for. Like, I love mm -hmm. this. Like running, I think that's why dad would have me run 300s because he would just love that I hated him. Yeah. But I would love that I hated him too. And I would love running him sometimes, but the pull-ups pull and like muscle-ups alike Muscle-ups are like a difficult thing to do, especially with weight, but the like testosterone that's going through my blood when I hop off the bar and like yeah. I, and like one of the kids that rise is like watching me do a muscle up with a weight vest on. We should just post makes me feel those, so freaking We should good. post like a video of you doing your muscle ups though. Cause they are pretty impressive. Like with the weight and everything. Like yeah. it, I could just like go straight up to my hips. Like it, there's like a, no bend in the arms. That's my yeah. goal is to try to get to where I can have that 20 pound weight vest on and just not even get to where my the bars at like my chest and I have to push up. I just like get right to my hips. Right. Which yeah. is another related thing to like. That's our cue that we've our been Our cue hitting. is like hit the hands to the hips. Hands Two the cues hips. that we've been hitting all year has been push your hands straight to your hips and then also put your short approach vault on full. Yeah. I want, I want a short approach vault from full. I want the same confidence that you have from your short approach on a full approach, on a full approach pole, full approach grip, all those things. All right. Last question. What advice would you give to someone coming out of college that wants to vault eventually at the level you're at? Funny. I just got off the phone with somebody asking me about that, that, uh, was talking about rise and, and wanting to kind of join and stuff. The, the, the thing is, is you, what we talked about this whole podcast is basically try to remember that you probably, probably can't do it alone. Mm -hmm. Like, as bad as you want to think you can, it's going to be very, very difficult to do it alone. Um, especially if when out of college, you've got a job, you know, maybe have a house or a apartment you got to pay for like different things like that. 
there's too much life that gets in the way um, of you being able to effectively write your own training and follow that. So getting into some sort of gym or club that is a pole vaulting one. Um, so like Chicagoland area is like, we've got the ones in Illinois, like rise pole vault junkies and the dragons. Um, but then like all over, you've got Pat Manson's place in Colorado. You got a, you know, a bunch of them in California, Arizona, pole vault Academy now, in Arizona, man. like a whole bunch of them in Texas, you know, Sean Young's place in Florida. You know, you could put Scott Houston's place. I could just keep naming them off. Apex. I got all of all of the US Mon right Shine. there, basically. Yeah, Monshine. Basically all the US right there, at least somewhat close to that. Mac and Texas Express. Mac, yeah. Mac, I mean, you could just like you could just keep, keep going. going. Every single state's probably got one. Unless you're in Rhode Island. Maybe. Oh, um, they probably got one. They probably got one. No, Rhode Island's pretty actually, small. Actually they're twenty six miles wide. Did yeah, never mind. That's tough. But Apex Vaulting is probably not even that far from I there. think Apex might have one. In Long Island, which is not that is far it Long from Island? Yeah. I don't know. It's one of the islands. Um, the Yeah, so that, that's the main thing is just if you're around one, commit to it and go there. And even if, like in our situation, we do two days a week of vaulting, you get an hour and a half session. You can stay at – if you're a member, you can stay after and – you can do now with our bigger facility, you can do sprints there. You can do extra pole runs. You can do lifting all of any sort of like strength training, all of that stuff, um, there at rise. And so that means two days a week you can, and if you're a member at rise, you can come in, even if it's not a vault day and you can come in and like lift if you wanted to, or, or do some sprints and stuff like that, if you're willing to make the drive out again. And so if you're somebody who's coming out of college you want a pole vault. If you've got the coaching ability, you could also, you know, hit up that, that club or that gym and say, Hey, I'd love to train there and also help you guys coach and stuff like that. That'd be a great way to stay involved with it. Um, but then also just like getting involved with that and, and joining on as a normal member and trying to get, you know, some sort of regimen. Cause like I said, with like my biggest improvement this year came from probably just having the regimen of somebody telling me what the heck to do, um, and me not being, having as much pride and being able to let go of that and understand that there are people who know more than you. And if you get just simply that regimen of having two days a week, even if you're just coming in and doing the basic two days a week and leaving, that's two days a week, a regimen that you don't have to plan. And then you've only got mm -hmm. two or three days left after that to plan out, which is takes the pressure off you a lot. So that's the main thing. That's why we've been blessed in our life. We had the access to pole vaulting through North Central, Frank Gramoroso, Al Carius. You know, that was during the times of, you know, our dad coached there, but that was also during the times where, you know, it was a little bit more acceptable to leave some doors cracked and gates slightly unlocked and leaving poles out, maybe when we weren't supposed to leave poles out, things like right. that. And, you know, we were just very, very fortunate to have our dad basically give us like he said like jake said our his 40s and 50s and be committed to you know on our birthdays he would ask us what we wanted to do and i know for my i think it was like my ninth birthday i was like i just want to go pole vault at north central yeah and we hear like all right so we went over there and pole vaulted and so having access to pole vaulting pole vaulting poles and all of that stuff is the reason we were able to grow the way we are and any people who are out there jumping really high um very likely have that same thing. If there's yeah. not too many people out there that are jumping really high on one pole. Um, 
without a coach and jumping outside, especially in the Midwest, you know, maybe somewhere else you can get away with jumping outside all year, but in the Midwest, we've got a indoor facility that's pretty stinking awesome. So make sure that you believe in that coach too. Like if you, and that, and make sure that that coach has enough time for you too, you know, because you don't want to, you know, do, you know, commit to something and then find out like, man, I don't know if this, if they really know what's going on. Like, you know, you, you need, you do your homework. You know, if you're somebody who really wants to go after this, like, you know, you're a 14 plus female or a, or a 15 or not 15 plus male, sorry, uh, 550 plus, uh, male, you know, that's coming out of college and wants to really go after it. You got to get lined up with somebody that you could see yourself believing in. Um, and somebody who also a coach that also is going to be able to have the time for you. You know, if you're their side project, you know, it's, uh, that's tough, you know, but you know, at the end of the day, it's definitely better than not having anything. And if you, you might need to uproot, you might need to move somewhere, you know, you might need to figure it out and be creative. But, um, if you're going to make that sort of commitment, do it sooner rather than later. Like when you get out of college and maybe you're single and, and you want to go after this thing, you know, what do you got to lose? You know, I, I, I really wish I would have started this whole thing, you know, right when I got yeah. out of college. Cause the longer you wait, the, the more responsibility you have and, and things like that. And then it, it's, it gets more difficult. It definitely gets more difficult, but all right, brother, I love you. Appreciate too, everything. And, um, yeah, we're going to get after it this next season. Yeah. Peace, love, and blessings to everyone out Where there. Can the, this uh, is a pretty cool podcast. The thing I was going to, last thing I was going to say was if you want to get two completely different perspectives of Luke Winder, go and watch my, listen to my first podcast that I did, which is one of the first episodes of this. Um, that was just when COVID hit. <laughs> And so you can imagine we were brought, yeah. we were all kind of down in our dumps and that was probably one of the lower points in my vaulting career. And now I'm at one of the highest points in my vault. Well, probably the highest point in my vaulting career. So lots of stuff has changed and that's pole vault though. You know, it comes in waves and just got to be patient and find a place that you love and pole vault high. And where can they follow you at? Uh, I am at Luke Skywinder on Instagram. And then I have a, and then on YouTube, I have post some workouts and stuff under L Winder, LR Winder 27 one. Gotcha. So that's on uh, YouTube and I'll post, I post some workouts and some of my meets on there. So it's pretty cool. All right. Roger that. All right. It's one more jump podcast. Thanks Luke. Take it easy. <laughs>